Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome back once again to the Talk Until the Joy Is Gone podcast. You know, the one that lurks in your list of favourites that you daren't show anyone for fear of them judging you too harshly for listening to our unique brand of nonsense. I am the dirty little secret commonly known as Rooney, and here with me as ever is the man whose name is only ever mentioned in hushed, fearful whispers. Reggie. <laughs> Half expecting to be an infidel this week, but um, I'm slightly upset I'm not an infidel. <laughs> I mean, I can call you infidel if you want, but <laughs> that just wasn't in the intro this week. <laughs> right, I'm just going to talk about this straight away before we yeah, go. Let's talk about it. the elephant in the room. It's really fucking hot, and uh, <laughs> I am dying of dehydration and it, heat exhaustion. It's currently 26.8 degrees in here. And I decided it would be a fun idea to, to walk around here today. And uh, it wasn't. No, no. no. I, I walked up the garden earlier and regretted it. Yeah. So, yeah, walking from your house to my house, no, sod that. Damn me for trying to be healthy, right? Yeah. It's just backfired on me altogether. I mean, I personally blame the weather because it has no right being this hot in the UK. We just... The thing is, give it like two months and it'll be cold and we'll all be like, for fuck's sake, why does it have to be so cold? Oh yeah, two weeks ago when it was raining and miserable, I was bitching and moaning that it was, you know, this is not summer weather, it should be sunny and warm. But this this is not sunny and warm, this is sunny and hot. This is, this is, you know, abusively warm. (laughs) Abusively warm. Abusively warm. It's just like, it's like the sun got sick and tired of everyone moaning, oh, where's the fucking sun gone, blah, blah, blah. It's now just come out just to spite us. And it's just trying to kill us all. I'd be alright if I was at home in a vest, just kind of in the shade, just not yeah. having to do anything, but <laughs> just drinking like a litre of water every 10 minutes, but I'm not, I'm stuck in this tiny little room. Stuck in this tiny little room. <laughs> the windows are open, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any fucking difference, because, I mean, <laughs> you can see the trees out there, yeah. I mean, obviously you guys can't see the trees, but we can, and they are not moving. Yeah. Any movement there is just a gradual wilt towards the ground, as they just burn and evaporate. So yeah, it's hot, we're sweaty, and you guys are really lucky that you can't smell because this I room... showered before I came here, but I got a feeling I'm going to be stinking by the time I leave. Yeah, it's unpleasant, very unpleasant. How was your week anyway? Um, yeah, it was okay. Apart from spending five hours on the M11 on Wednesday night. Yeah, that's, which was quite, that's quite a good segue. To I was trying to segue into oh, you had a good week. Well, I almost died, but. I thought I'd, uh, but you provided me with a better segue. Well played. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember your message. Wednesday morning, I'm driving to work, and as is the theme recently, whenever I wake <laughs> up in a really exuberant, super good mood, and I'm like super happy, I can't stop smiling. Something happens, car related, to just put me in a really bad mood. The world just slaps you back down. Yeah, again. it's like, how, how dare you? You have no right being this this happy. <laughs> you are abusively happy. And uh, yeah, so there I am in this the middle lane on the motorway driving to work Wednesday morning. I've got my music on. I'm rapping because I'm that happy that I think I'm cool enough Jeez. that I can rap. So I'm rapping away to myself. I'm driving. I'm keeping an eye on the car in front of me. And suddenly, I it's like... everything just slowed right down into slow motion I see this lorry indicate from the slow lane into the middle lane and he starts pulling over and I'm sitting there in my car looking thinking there's not enough space for you that car better put his brakes on it better slow down because there's not enough space for you in that gap and 
it's like literally slow motion. I see this lorry come right over, right over, right over, and now I'm thinking, mate, in time to the guy in the car, just put your brakes on. Yeah. It's gonna hit you. <laughs> For fuck's sake, do something. And then it happens. The back of the lorry clips the front yeah. of the car. And it spins out, hits the central reservation, and then spins back in and hits the fucking lorry. And it carries on driving, and yep. then it spins again and lands, stops right in front of me. Which is all happens in complete slow motion. I see him in the car, like, like fucking yeah. going up and down, being thrown around like a ragdoll. And he comes and he stops right in front of me, and which is the point I was like, shit, I better put my brakes uh, on. Yeah. So I slam my <laughs> brakes on. And then, as I'm slamming my brakes on, I'm thinking to myself, fuck, the car behind me better have seen <laughs> what happened. The car better be paying attention. Otherwise, they're going to go straight through me. So I brace, I throw my brakes on, I brace myself, and it like, and I don't, after about five seconds, I don't get hit. So I open my eyes, and like, he is 10 foot in front of me in his yeah. car, slumped in his seat, like, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, 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 and I start panicking. So I go get my phone. And as I pull my phone out and I look up, I see him jump out of the car and run <laughs> across the fucking slow lane into, and then just collapse <laughs> on the hard shoulder. And I'm thinking, fuck. So I, I take a deep breath. I hit 999. I call the ambulance. And then I kind of double check that there's no cars still flying up the fucking fast yeah. lane. There's not. So I jump out and I make my way over there. And suddenly, I am serene. <laughs> like, I am cool, calm, collected. I am the person you want in an emergency because I know exactly what to do. So I'm on the phone to the ambulance. I'm checking on him. A couple of other people come over, get out of their cars, and we're all dealing with it. And then eventually, like, this police van with some guy who's not wearing a police uniform <laughs> turns up with a first-aid woman. She starts speaking to the guy. Then the lorry that's pulled over, the driver comes back. Mm. and he's there and he's he can't speak a word of English so the guy on the floor is in absolute shock and all he can say is like I was just driving my car I was just driving my car I was just driving my car <laughs> I'm then got to ask him questions that the guy on the phone's asking me to ask yeah. him and I'm kind of getting some sense but all, all he's really saying to me is I was just driving my car <laughs> and I'm thinking like he's got no visible wounds at all except like a graze on his arm but it is not right yeah. whatsoever. So then the guy on the phone's just like, right, I've got to ask you these questions. If you don't know the answers, just say you don't know. It is absolutely <laughs> fine. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, okay, so does this guy look like he's got COVID? And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. I don't know. <laughs> does he have a fever? I don't know. Does he have a cough? I don't know. Um, can he taste anything? I don't fucking know. Do you know what I mean? Has he just come back from Denmark or, or and like he gave me this list of countries I can't remember now. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, okay, fine. And then he's like, I'm frustrated at this point because I understand why he's yeah. got to ask, but I've already told him that I was just a part of. You're literally right? just like, just and my call's being recorded. So, do you really need to go for it? Like, time is of the essence at this point. <laughs> and uh, then he's like, so what's the car like? And I'm like, what is fucked in it? <laughs> and then I caught myself and I was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry it's it's undrivable like it's real <laughs> and he just laughs at me and he's like alright so eventually um, the, the, police, the fake police guy mm. he's just like the fake police guy well he's not wearing a uniform he's in a like a police meat wagon but he's not wearing a uniform 
So I don't know what he is, if he's road police or what, but I don't know. Uh, the faux police guy. Is it eventually it's like, right, you lot gotta leave before um emergency services get here because they won't come over if you're here and it's like, alright, so we gave the guy our details in case he needs like witnesses for his insurance. Yeah. And then he the the faux police guy walks us to our car and then I get in my car, switch it on, and then there's fucking debris all over. There's only one way for me to get out because the whole time I've been stood by the side of the road, every other motherfucker on the road is desperately trying to squeeze through this little gap in the slow lane to come past and get yeah. out. So it's getting more and more aggressive and to try and get everyone's beeping, screaming at each other out their windows, and I'm on the side on on the side of the road <laughs> on the front of the, <laughs> to the emergency services. Like, there's been a real fucking disaster here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and no one gives a shit. You're all too busy like fucking arguing with each other because you all want to get through this thing and fuck off. Eventually, I have to get out of my car, clear the debris <clears throat> out of the road, and then I pull away and I start driving, and that's when the shock hits me. <laughs> And so I pull over into the slow lane and I do 40. For the last three miles to my junction, I'm just sat there doing 40. Fortunately, the woman in the car behind me was another one of the people that got out and she yeah. she was a bit shook as well, I think. So we're both just sitting there doing 40 in the slow lane right up to our junction. And then it got even worse. Then I slowed right down to about 20 and just <laughs> crawled to work because I was in shock. I was just like, my mind just kept replaying the vision mm. of this guy bouncing around in his car. And then I got to work and I was in a bit. I was, I'm not going to sit here and try and front. I was shook as fuck. I was a <laughs> shook. Up. I was. I was a state. But fortunately, my team looked after me. They were good. I'm trying to remember because I drove through that traffic, mm. um, and there were no emergency. Well, there was a police van on yeah. scene, um, but again, there were no uniforms around. Somebody must have been there because a guy was sat on the the, the hard shoulder with the silver tinfoil blanket oh okay him. that might have been from the first day when it's that's what I'm thinking because there was no no one else there um, and I'm trying to remember if I saw your car there still you might because all I saw was mate you sat on the side of the road but of course yeah. I was in that crowd of people yeah. trying to squeeze through one single lane in rush hour traffic on the <laughs> M11 yeah I saw that and it was uh, yeah it was I was trying to figure out what had happened yeah it must have been your car that was there because there was a car in the middle all munched up yeah which is obviously the one that got hit but there was another car there that I didn't take a lot of notice of because once I realised it wasn't munched up, yeah. I was like, well, he wasn't involved. What's going on? And then I saw the lorry further down the road and I was like, ah, oh, okay, oh, so okay. the lorry's clearly hit yeah. matey somehow. Yeah, you, you were probably still there and I, I just probably, drove past. Yeah, I was probably on the side of the road <laughs> I'm, I'm being a hero while you just did completely... Well, I was just like, fuck up. you guys. I mean, like, to be honest... i got to get to work. If I'd, yeah. if I'd have been there... Actually, no, on that day, I'd have used it as an excuse because I didn't want to go into the office anyway. But... Ordinarily, I'd have just, uh, oh, you've crashed, you've stopped moving, right, drive around <laughs> it. And then I'd have saved the footage on my dash cam. And then just like, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, there was an accident. I've got some dash cam footage, but that's, yeah, I'm a cunt and I couldn't be bothered. That's the one time I wish <laughs> I had a dash cam. I was going to say, have you got a dash cam? Cause, no, no, I'm not I mean, that, that, that would have been, I mean, fucking matey would be uh, the, the, the lorry driver. Quite oh, clearly yeah, in the wrong. Yeah. He's misjudged it and wiped out the other guy's car, but... Thing is, he come he come down once the first aid woman got there, and the first aid woman's saying to him, "Are you all right?" And he can't speak a word of English. He's just going, "I just pulled out, like just did this." And he's just doing this like hand gestures to yeah. say that he pulled over. And she's going, "No, are you are you hurt?" And he's just like, still. <laughs> and I'm just like, "You're not going to get anywhere." <laughs> you're not getting he anywhere. He don't look hurt. There's no way he's really going to be hurt. He was in a f- giant fucking lorry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 
It was, a good, it was a good day for driving that day. Yeah. Because then, obviously, on the way back, there was that aerosol lorry that exploded on the M11. I didn't know about that until the next day. Yeah. You, by the sounds of it, you missed it by about five, ten minutes. And I, I, I drove through Stortford that day. Oh, that's what yes, you said, yeah. I, I was like, I ain't going back on the motorway today. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm pushing my luck. So, again, I pulled out of work. I'm driving for no more than a minute into Stortford, and a fucking scooter pulls out in front of me, and I have to emergency stop. <laughs> And I'm just like, for fuck's sake, I've avoided the motorway because there was a crash. And now I'm coming this way because I think it's safer. And now I almost ploughed into a fucking scooter. (laughs) To be fair, you'd be better off on the motorway because the accident was actually the other side of Stansted. But apparently the motorway's still closed. Is it? Yeah, apparently it it really fucked up because it was full of aerosols. Oh, that part of the motorway. That part, yeah, north north of it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm supposed to be going into the office tomorrow, which Mm. will be fun. Because last time, I, last I heard yesterday morning, it was still down to one carriageway oh, okay. on that section of the motorway, and it's like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. No. I may, I may go through Stortford and yeah, it's probably that. for the best. Yeah, it's quite nice when you drop when I drive home through Stortford because once I come out of Sorbo, <laughs> there's just the biggest queue of traffic <laughs> on in the other lane trying to get into Sorbo, yeah. and I'm just cruising along the way, <laughs> just looking at them like, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh right okay well that was like nearly 20 minutes of just chatting about driving which that's okay now i'm gonna condemn the gammons and english fans that did horrible, horrible oh yes shit. i mean we would be remiss were we not to mention that today what i've got two sides of the of the england fans you want to condemn first or do you want to celebrate the stupidity and joy of some england fans um I don't really care which right, way you want condemn to do it. Let's condemn them. stupid racist cunts that decided to go on social media and go after the three players that missed penalties. Mm-hmm. You're all idiots. The world would be better <laughs> off without you. I, uh, you. You should all go take your own lives. <laughs> wow, strong words there. If any of you those guys do kill themselves, it was definitely not us that, us that pushed them over the edge. It was... I don't know, the fact that they're retarded, else. I don't know. It's Come on, we're a week late. They would have heard it from everyone else by the time. Yeah, that's true. that's true. We may be the final the final straw that breaks that particular idiotic camel's oh, back. Just... And to be honest, I don't. I regret nothing. It makes you ashamed to be English, right? Would, would a manslaughter charge against the podcast make us cooler? I think it would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any exposure is good exposure. I mean, yeah, this is true. This is true. Can I just imagine that on fucking BBC News. Yeah. And today, a podcast has been taken to court for causing the inadvertent suicide of a racist piece of shit. <laughs> Talk until the joy is gone. Yeah. <laughs> I've done this country a service. <laughs> Some people have started a crowdfund to get them OBEs. Yeah. This time next year, there'll be Sir Rooney and Sir Reggie. Yeah, I could actually be Sir Rooney. Yeah. And I swear, if her madge says Sir Rooney the submissive, I will <laughs> kick her in her wrinkled old <laughs> ovaries. <laughs> I'll take that freaking sword of her and shank her. It does. It, like, Sunday night, I was so proud to be English. I was just like, the boys, they may not have won, but they played their hearts out. They gave everything. They competed to the last, very last second of the game. I'm proud to be English. You can't ask for any more than that. And then Monday, mm-hmm. all I'm seeing is reports of people just, oh, just being the scum me of the earth. Ashamed to be an Englishman. Mm-hmm. I mean, on top of all the other reasons. On top of all the other shit. Like, yeah, this is, we, is a new one. This is a fresh one. On top of colonialism and you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> Another thing to be ashamed to be English about. It's just. <laughs> You know what we should do? It. We should just change the, 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 the logo. We should change the background on the logo to a Union Jack. 
No, it's not the nineties anymore. <laughs> no, it'd be, it'd be St George's Cross because you know we've really got to drive home to the to the home counties that we're one of them, so that they come and listen and then get all upset. One and offended. of you. One of you. <laughs> no, I'd I'd rather have no listeners than than be one of them. Yeah, no, Thank that's you true. Very much. That's true. I just don't understand it. How anybody? I mean, like, look at fucking Marcus Rashford, MBE, right? Man's out here saving the fucking kids. Yeah, feeding the children that the government won't. Saving the kids that them Tory cunts that you put in power don't care about. <laughs> and let me just point this out as well while you're listening, idiots. They don't care about you either. They do not give a fuck Boom. about the likes of you and me. All they care about is giving money and attention to their fucking mates. So the rich keep getting richer and we stay exactly where they fucking want us. Here. Ugh, stop. <laughs> This is not anti-Tory. This is anti-racist. Sorry, I got. I got. Uh, yeah, you got to pick pick your battles. I just don't understand it. I like yes, by all means, you you well within your right to call them shit penalty takers. You're well within your right to criticise the the, the the fact that they miss penalties. As a fan, but don't do it because they're fucking the colour of their skin. Do it because they took shit penalties. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like any of you would have the courage and the bravery to fucking put the, take the entire country on your back and step up in that moment knowing what could happen yeah mm. what, were we, what were we doing at 19 years old oh, we were fucking liabilities exactly at 19 years old we were not stepping up and taking penalties in the in the final of international sports tournaments we were out smashing up fucking lampposts on the cycle track which is which is why I'm not sat here going after the people that smashed it up <laughs> just the racists I'm just going to point that out because uh, I'm, not, I'm not a hypocrite uh, no, there, there are degrees of doing that, and the thing, yeah, you know, the, we smashed a couple of lampposts. Most of which, it turns out, repaired themselves afterwards because they're <laughs> because we're feeble. Pussies. Because we're feeble pussies, and we couldn't do it. And yeah, by the time we'd get to, to the next one, the first one had restarted and was working again. Um, but I mean, going out and 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 just like trashing, was it Trafal- uh, Trafalgar Square? Wasn't it? Was it just oh, Leicester ruined- Square. Leicester, uh, Leicester Square. That's it. Because Trafalgar Square is full of fucking roads and buses and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, going out and, and trashing that, and then just fucking off and leaving it for someone else to go and clean it up. And it's like you said to me the other day. I'd never really thought about it. I was very aghast at seeing the sights of tens of thousands of English people outside Wembley, f- like five hours before the game, yeah. drunk, not wearing masks, and not social distancing. But it's like you said, where were the fucking police? Mm-hmm. Where were the same fucking riot police that were there when? When people marched for Black Lives Matter, where were they? The same fucking riot police that came down to shut down all the fucking protests in London. And the Sarah Everard Memorial, yeah, that's you know, the, that's their, their one, fucking yeah. little memorial gathering where the riot police came in and started fucking battening women and just dragging them off and arresting them because they didn't like what they were doing. Where the fuck were those police? As a friend of mine on Twitter, who I won't name for, for the sake of his career, pointed out... They were wearing England shirts and trashing the fucking bus stops. And like I said the other day, probably selling all them yobbos, the coke from the fucking evidence. <laughs> evidence covered. I mean, at the moment, nobody, nobody involved in that whole thing outside of the players is coming off. Uh, you know, it's coming off particularly well, are they? Because I was reading all. something yesterday. Stories have started coming out from anonymous stewards yeah. at the game that they were. Taking bribes from people, yeah, letting them in when you know they didn't have tickets and things like that. I read the other day that this guy was like, we had a WhatsApp group for months called Ooh. "Get Into Wembley for Free," and he's like, and we went, we all we planned it, we did, we went, 
for every possible way we could get through it. It's like there were hundreds of us in this group. And we all met up on the day. And eventually this steward came over to us and said, I can get you in £500 each. Yeah. And this, this, this guy was moaning because he, he, he'd only taken £250 for a bribe. <laughs> so he, he couldn't get in. But it's just like, you're not... Like, we could have... England and Ireland are trying to like a joint bid to host the World Cup oh, they want in 2030. The yeah. But that ain't going to happen. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. We could have had a cornucopia of football all summer in this country. Again, like the Euros, we could have all got involved in, had made some great memories, had a good time, and it's not going to happen now because some fucking dickheads decided to storm the gates. Yep. Like they were fucking Knights Templars. Yeah, like they were fucking conducting some kind of siege or something. Yeah. It's like, no, you just... Breaking the law yeah. because you want to go and watch a football match. It's like, just sit the fuck down. You've all got fucking phones with broadband yeah. internet on them. Just fucking sit there and watch that. Drink your fucking red stripe. Or just stay at home and watch it on your 16-inch screen with surround sound. And but the other thing is, there's all, all, this, I mean? all these pictures and footage coming out of, of people watching it at pubs and stuff and yeah. kicking off fights oh, yeah. and shit. And it's like, you're all there supporting the same team. Yeah. Why are you fighting? What? I don't, I don't understand it. And this was, this because was because you can't support your team unless you get drunk. Yeah, babe. It's I'm not just... supporting the team unless you're, unless you, you're you've drunk. had ten cans of beer and you're ready to fight some cunt. Oh, right. Okay. I have to tell Amy because she she watched it. Yeah, but she, no, she didn't do it properly. She... Cody didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. She had it. <laughs> it's ridiculous because she had fucking. Um, she had that the, the live feed of that on one monitor. Yeah. On the other monitor, I think she was watching the fucking Sidemen on YouTube. Um. I was playing Sea of Thieves and Cody was playing on his tablet. And every so often, the the, the girl I was playing with on Sea of Thieves, she'd be like, "Oh, there's there's more shouting. What have they done?" And I go, "Amy, what have they done? Oh yeah, so and so scored." And then it got to the end, and I was like, "What are they doing? Oh, it's gone to penalties." And even the girl on the other on the other end, I was playing with, um, she knows fuck all about football. She yeah. knows about as much as I do. Okay. And I was like, "Oh, it's gone to penalties," and she went, "Oh, that's it. It's all over then." Oh, yeah. <laughs> as soon as it went to penalties, I knew it was all over. <laughs> I had said before the semi-final to someone in work I think this is going to go to penalties and they said why and I said because England don't go into tournaments and not have to deal with some penalty <laughs> to drama at some point <laughs> and I'd rather it be today than in the final because I don't think any final should be down to penalties yeah it's just it doesn't sit right with me and uh, that didn't so once we got once it was 1-1 and we went into extra time I was like this is going to penalties and we're losing it's oh. all over yeah but I just want to take the time to say thank you Gareth Southgate thank you England players and thank you England backroom staff you've done us all proud in a way that some idiots fucking could not replicate <laughs> for you and on behalf of the idiots and the football fans I'm sorry but thank you very very much <laughs> For the memories you gave us this summer, it was amazing. Can we talk about something slightly more important now? Yeah, can we talk about? I need to send you some pictures because I I need to show the other side of the England fan. Um, I actually wanted to talk about the t-shirt that you're wearing. No, we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll segue. Oh, we're going to segue into that, are we? Yeah, just let, <laughs> let me send you this picture so I can read this article out. You got, you got to send me a picture because this is this is uh, 2021, guys. So um, everything's done on smartphones these days. Even apparently our episode... Oh, what the actual fuck? <laughs> oh, I saw the back. I saw the back shot of that. I hadn't seen the front. <laughs> the ever-loving fuck. Okay, I'll, I'll... I'll drop a link to this, I guess, in in the, the, the details so that you guys can all appreciate this and anyone that hasn't seen it can see it. I'll post it. When I post... 
on on Wednesday for, for the episode. I'll add these in these pictures. I mean, that is that is really something. <clears throat> a astute England fan has shaved the St George's cross <laughs> into his chest hair, and the words "It's coming home" into his back hair. And I think we can all agree that's a fairly unique way to celebrate England's place in the final. So you know, there were some dickheads, some idiots that. That Almost did that sort of stupid stuff. But. All that ridiculous nonsense. But here's some ridiculous nonsense we can all get behind. <laughs> this is the fun side of being a football fan. I, I did balance. see another chap who, um, I don't think it was even for the final, yeah. it was the one before, painted a St George's cross on his face. <laughs> but um, he used gloss paint for the white. No. So he, it was on there. For day, come the, the, the final, he still had bits of gloss like on his face that he just couldn't scrub off because... Don't seriously don't use gloss paint as face paint. <laughs> um, scaffolder Alfie Callagher Roberts, who scoured the shops for an England shirt on Friday but wasn't able to get his hands on one mm. due to their overwhelming popularity, decided to take things into his own hands. The 23 year old wasn't going to let that stop him from showing his support for the team, so he whipped out the clippers and sent to work shaving his chest hair into the shape of a St George's cross. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. <laughs> But even if I'd never, ever, ever shaved my chest, I would never have ever grown enough hair no. to shave anything into it. Neither of us like, are particularly hirsute men, are we? He's, he's a hairy he, I mean, just looking at what he had there, that yeah. is, I mean, that's a proper fucking like, carpet he's got there. That's <laughs> the back of the store. How could you even live like that? I just, oh. How would you survive in weather like, weather this, like this with a carpet on your back? It's <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. He's like a fucking Wookiee. Um, he then enlisted the help of a pal to write It's Coming Home in the hair on his back. Alfie from East London said, I've always been told I've got more hair on my chest and back than an ape. So I put it to good use. I went around all the shops after work but couldn't get a shirt. So I bought a pair of clippers instead. <laughs> As you do. I did the front and shaved the flag into my hair. Then got a razor to smooth it out. I got my mate to do my back. He thought it was hilarious. I bet he did. He was laughing at you because it wasn't him doing it. <laughs> In the same way that Rooney laughs at me when I can't read out my notes for this pod. He's laughing at you. I'm um, laughing with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, Alfie, you reckons it'll be 3-1 in victory for England? Well, Probably that would, yeah. Okay, less said about that, the better, I think. <laughs> and it just towels off. Um, yeah, I just think that is the most... That's dedication to the cause, I mean, right? That's certainly something. And I don't know what the M's are. They just they look more like fucking. Did, did, they don't look like M's. There's no G on the coming. I don't, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's the most amateur job I've ever seen. Had they life. been drinking at this point? Cause I, I think so. It's, yeah. It sounds like someone was drinking when they did it, right? I mean, you don't come up with that sort of idea sober. No. Not unless you've had a solid blow to the head. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I got another article though, just so just so we can laugh a bit more. Are we lad bibling again this week. I wasn't going to say it. I was just going to call it an article, but yeah. <laughs> it's obvious where these articles have come yeah. from. Well, the thing is though, the last couple of times there were some really good articles. There weren't very many good no. articles when I looked on there today. <laughs> but I thought we, if we ever need a third person to kind of come in as a as a co-host on Tartrick, we may have found the right guy. Okay. Woman shares brutal text her 91-year-old granddad sends her. Oh, gods. <laughs> I think he'd fit in really well on Touch <laughs> A woman has shared the, the brutal messages her 91-year-old granddad sends her, and he does not pull any punches. 
Um, Megan Elizabeth or Megan Elizabeth at Megan Elizabeth 1016 as she's known on that social media site <laughs> shared a selection of some of her granddad's most cutting texts including one in which he warns her that she's in danger of dying alone <laughs> lovely <laughs> posting the humorous exchanges on that social media site Megan wrote texting my 91 year old grandpa be like before the video cuts to a text to the reads this is grandpa I read an article that said if you do not, do not find a real... T- <clears throat> this is Grandpa. I read an article that said if you do not find a life partner by 29, you most likely die alone. <laughs> Your birthday is coming up in three months. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Love, Grandpa. <laughs> I think he, he, he can tell it how it is, the way that we need someone like that on, on Touching to come in and kind of... Put us in our place sometimes. Put us in our place. But also help us put the idiots in their place. <laughs> we have we have been far too much on side with one another in recent yeah, months. We've we been need too to, nice. need to get back to, to, to just abusing We might need a third person other. just to just play devil's advocate and play us off against each other a bit more. Other than that, I'd ended up getting bullied. <laughs> <laughs> in response, Megan shot back a quick thanks. Well, what else can you say? <laughs> in another text, her granddad writes... <clears throat> Megan, this is Grandpa. I hope you were keeping the weight you lost off. Remember, heart disease runs in our family. Jesus. Love, Grandpa. I mean, he's concerned for her well-being, clearly, but <laughs> I suppose at, at 91, your, your filter's a little bit worn out. <laughs> he's about as subtle as me when I'm trying to get laid. Um, <laughs> while the third reads, Hi, Megan, this is your Grandpa. I hope you aren't drinking a lot. I saw on the news that alcohol sales are sky high because millennials are depressed. Love you always, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Megan's followers absolutely love the interactions with one person writing, Grandpa is adorably offensive and I can tell you're his favourite. Adorably offensive, adorably is, offensive. is the way I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to... Describe touching from, from adorably. I don't think we're adorably offensive. Oh, we're just come offensive. On. We're adorable. Are I, we? I told a story about how I got traumatized and got proper shook and I couldn't drive faster than I forty mean, I, I, miles an hour. I don't think that's adorable. That humanizing, concerning, humanizing. Yeah, it doesn't make us adorable. <laughs> I had to humanize myself before I did this. <laughs> <laughs> before I condemned the racist and then laughed at. Ah, people. logic. Yeah. I see. That's why I open with that. <laughs> <laughs> Defending the OAP, another commented, Ah, oh, he thinks about you all the time. So cute. <laughs> While someone else said, I'm sorry, but this is hilarious and cute all at the same time. Um, uh, it's not just granddads who have no chill when it comes to sending texts. Last year, a bloke shared the harsh line of questioning he received from his mum. Adam Waterman, who lives in London, was asked by his mother whether she should address his Christmas card to him and his boyfriend or just him. However, when he replied that he doesn't have a partner, she asked him, do you think it's your personality or looks? <laughs> People say I'm, in- I'm insensitive, but I would never write any of these I mean, these you things. are, but there are degrees of insensitivity. <laughs> I, would, I could never bring myself... Without putting like a uh, laughing emoji or something at the end to frame it as a joke, I couldn't do it. Oh, wait, is that what you do to make sure someone knows it's a joke? Fuck, I've got some messages to send after yeah. this. <laughs> that dick pic, 
Sorry, I was meant to follow it up with a laughing emoji. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, Mum. Didn't mean to. Uh, I left off the smiley emoji after that dick pic. <laughs> that picture I sent you of my plugged anus. Sorry, it was missing a laughing emoji. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Uncle. That that <laughs> wing should have had a smiley face next to it. <laughs> Quite clearly a joke, not an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> so please stop sending me yours. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, there's, there's some depths we haven't plumbed in a while. Incest. We've done trauma, belittling racists, uh, funny news articles, and now we're into incest. Yeah, I mean, WhatsApp incest, mate. It's it's the future. I think we've covered all possible <laughs> angles for, for this week's touching. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I, we may as well just call the episode dead. We peaked. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, we have peaked, guys. The rest <laughs> of it is just talking about some fucking film. Yeah, <laughs> serious discussion about a serious film. Yeah, I forgot quite how serious this film is. But I have lots of notes on it, so... That's good, because I've got about four pages, well, even though I watched this film two and a half times. I have lots of trivia. Oh, I, awesome. I have a few notes. but um, So anyway, the film, for those of you watching this on YouTube, will be able to see, Kingdom of Heaven. Um, my choice. Really fucking long film. Really serious Sorry. film. The minute you said... Why you see it on YouTube? I realised just how fat I looked. So yeah, I really need to, to work out this camera angle a little bit better. Because, like, and hold my shit in. <laughs> you, you can be seen. And show it? my Beware the Kraken t-shirt off. Yeah. Available on Rooney's Redbubble. Yeah, designed by me. Oh. Uh, and that actually looks a lot cooler than I thought it would. Um, I'm going to have to buy one myself when I get paid. Um, yeah, I chose this film. You said you wanted to talk about it. Was that enough? Yeah, that'll do. Okay. <laughs> I think the original version is up there on that piece of paper. Okay. Um, yeah I chose it I A forgot how fucking long it was B didn't realise that uh, the version I had was the director's cut oh, okay. which is nearly three and a half hours long yeah it's supposed to be better I think I'd quite like but, to see that yeah I do want to, I was I was hoping I didn't realise until Thursday afternoon that I had the wrong version downloaded oh, okay. so then I had to go and get the regular version I was like oh maybe I could watch like one of them and then the other one so I'd have it as a comparison because I know I refer to some of my notes refer to the director's cut and then I realised that realized no, I didn't have a spare six hours. I didn't have a spare six hours to sit there and watch this film, so I, I didn't. I might watch. I might watch it next week or something if I get a chance. Which I, I'm I saying that I won't. I might. I don't know. I have vague recollections of this film. I may have seen it before. I may have just been aware of it before. I'm fairly certain I saw it with you and Dal at the cinema when it came out. Okay. My vague recollections were that it was like three hours. So the minute you said it, I was just like, oh, I've got to carve out three hours of my life. And then I found it, put it on, and it was like two hours 20. So it yeah. wasn't anywhere near as bad it's as I It's not as long as, it's, it's longer than I remember it being, but yeah. it's not as, yeah, as long as you apparently feared it was. Yeah. Um, but this, I, I love this film. I've watched it a lot of times over the years. And yeah, it's two and a half hours or yeah. whatever. Most of the films I've watched a lot of times over the years um, are really fucking long, like this and Dune and uh, Quadrophenia. Oh, yeah, Quadrophenia's <laughs> fucking long. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's almost like like two films back to back. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're I not talking about that we this cover week. Quadrophenia on this podcast, huh? I dread the day that we cover Quadrophenia because <laughs> I know it's coming. Oh, it's, it's coming. It's on the list already, I yeah, think. Yeah, I know. Um, so, anyway. Without further ado, let's get into it, because like I said, I have loads of trivia and a few notes. So, it was released 2nd of May 2005 at the London premiere. It was then released in Germany on the 5th of May 2005, and then everywhere else got it on the 6th of May 2005. Oh. I don't know why they staggered it like that. There was no information that I could find online about it. But It might just be the day that films come out in cinemas, because 
I assume it's different in all in all countries, right? I don't know. These days they tend to do a global release, and it comes yeah. out on the same day everywhere. I mean, the premiere I can kind of understand that we've we've seen that quite a few times. Oh yeah, you always have the premiere there. before the actual yeah. release. But the fact that Germany got it like a day before everywhere else just seems odd, especially since it wasn't like a German film. There was a German guy in it. One. <laughs> <laughs> for about 60 seconds oh, yeah. um, had a budget of 130 million US dollars um, you a, can tell yeah it, it shows it's a big budget Ridley yeah. Scott production right from the I, very I outset. was kind of watching it like this is everything Ironclad wished it could be right yes yeah, yeah this is what Ironclad dreams of being yeah. it, just, <laughs> it just had 100 million less in budget yeah uh, box office, 218.1 million US dollars. So it was not a flop, but it wasn't what they were hoping for, obviously. Oh, it's 98 million profit. Yeah. Not, not that, to be sniffed they... at. I know it's not uh, not 800 or something that you get for a Pirates Caribbean film. But exactly. I think that's what as, they wanted. This, Yeah, I know, but this is subjective. Yeah. It's dry, it's subtle, it's not over the top. It's, it's a far more nuanced family, film than... Family <laughs> friendly fun Jack Sparrow <laughs> hijinks is it no not really no. not even close uh, it was directed and produced by Ridley Scott obviously yeah. um, starring Orlando Bloom Eva, Gr- oh, Eva Green Jeremy Irons David Thewlis Brendan Gleeson Martin Suka I've actually got a note on how to pronounce that surname in here Suka is <clears throat> Polish for bitch well there you go I don't think he's Polish. I, I did look him up. I can't remember where it's from. Uh, Liam Neeson. And, despite his request that he not be credited, Ed Norton. Is he? I I my following note <laughs> clears up because I knew you'd do that. Can, can you guess? I'm saying the Leper King. Boom. Ten points to Gryffindor. That's awesome. right. I've got my Harry Potter references on. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I don't know what I'm more, I'm more amazed about. I got it right, or you busted out a Harry Potter quote. How do you even know a Harry Potter quote? I spend a lot of time on the internet, yeah, and the I internet suppose, fucking yeah. loves Harry Potter. Um, now, Norton was being considered for the role of Guy. Okay. Um, but after reading through the script, he changed his mind and lobbied for the role of King Baldwin. As the king obviously spends the entire film in a mask, he requested that he not be credited. Oh. However, his name was added to the credits for the VHS and DVD releases. Oh. So, in the cinematic release, if you watch it, he doesn't appear in there. It's just a nameless person yeah. playing the king. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was, I mean, really weird. I mean, I could, uh, it's a very Ed Norton sort of thing to oh, do, yeah. isn't it? Oh, you don't really see my face. Don't bother putting me in the credits. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's Pay fine. me, just don't credit <clears> me. Pay me, just don't fine. credit me for it. <laughs> now, uh, Ridley Scott has disowned the theatrical cut claiming that the director's cut is the definitive version. Oh, of course it is, because it's his cut. Because <laughs> it's his cut, yeah. Um, I think it was the studio that kind of mandated that it was way too long and that it had oh, to be yeah. cut down. I mean, let's face it, unless you're going to build up to it with about $18 billion films, <laughs> the only way you get away with doing anything for hours is if you're endgame, yeah. really. Even even Star Wars was like, there's a three-hour cut of this film. It's Star Wars. It's Star Wars. People Fuck ain't going to sit down for three down. hours of Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Um, Apparently, Ridley Scott received. Now, this is a this is a sequence of notes that all play, all, kind of present different sides of the same story okay. to each other. Uh, now, apparently, Scott received many letters of thanks and congratulations from Muslim groups and viewers for his even-handed depiction of the religion in the film. Yeah. However, also consider, <clears throat> after the team arrived in Morocco, an article appeared in the Daily Telegraph on January twentieth, two thousand four, claiming that the film panders to Osama bin Laden. However, the writer of the article was quickly exposed as not having seen the screenplay. 
Subsequently, however, a copy of the screenplay was leaked to the world press and provoked a strong reaction in terms of its depiction of Muslims. In an article on August 12, 2004, Professor Khaled Abu El-Fadl, I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right, sorry to the Arab world if I'm not, yeah. uh, wrote, I believe this movie teaches people to hate Muslims. There is a stereotype of the Muslim as constantly stupid, retarded, backward, unable to think in complex forms. How? This new sway in criticism greatly concerned King Mohammed VI, who came to fear for Ridley Scott's safety, and as such, Mohammed provided Scott with four bodyguards. Also, also consider, although this was a disappointment at the US box office, the film did better in Europe. It was, however, a huge success in the Arab world, particularly Egypt. So... Alright, can we go through one by one? So the first, because I've got some questions. The first one, read it out again. Uh, Scott received many letters of thanks and congratulations from Muslim groups and viewers for his even-handed depiction of the religion. That one, I can... I'll buy that because I think no, none does. of the religions come out of this particularly well. No, but but they all come out. It's very even handed. Bad. Yeah, it is. They're, they all, they're all bad, basically. All right, the second one though. The second one. This is the one that really baffled me. Where um, someone wrote an article claiming the film pandered to Osama bin Laden. Yeah, which not, not that doesn't yet. make any sense. No, because they proved that he never. Even, he, he was just trying to whip up some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The second bit was uh, when a leaked copy of the screenplay. Um, went to the world press and the Professor Khaled Abu El-Fadl wrote that he believes this movie teaches people to hate Muslims. There's a stereotype of the Muslim as constantly stupid, retarded, backward and unable to think in complex forms. This is the bit I'm, I'm worried I about. I don't get that. No, because it's Saladin that draws the Europeans mm-hmm. out into the desert. Out into the desert them. and finishes them off. It's him that says, that, that kind of goes along with a truce and for as long as he needs to to get to where mm-hmm. he needs to be. Um, the guy that first meets Balian, who's like the advisor. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Like, he yeah. repays. Like, you you reap what you sow. He's like, I'll, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be your slave. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't worry. Take, take the horse. Go, mate. Yeah. And then when um, the shoe's on the other foot, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll yeah. Be. They come off really well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I don't they pander to them. I just think that... that they kind of they show them as reasonable people, which yeah. I guess the West doesn't want to see. Some people don't don't like that, but then it also shows them as being willing to to commit murder and yeah. and kill people, which again they probably don't like. And it's like guys, guys. And that's for the last. Nobody one. comes out of this looking good. No. And as for the last <laughs> one, how many big budget major motion pictures include? Heroic Muslims. Yeah, not more, fu- not fucking many. So you, so you know, when people finally see themselves on screen, they're going to come out and pay the money to come and see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, three sixty-foot siege towers were actually built for the film. Oh, awesome! Um, using technology of the appropriate period, um, each one weighing in at around twenty-five tons. For the scene where a number of siege towers collapse after yeah. they shoot them with a the ballista, um, one of the real towers was knocked over on set and filmed from 11 different positions and locations. Various shots of the single tower falling over were then composited together to give the impression that several towers had in fact been pulled over. i got a note that basically just says, I love that shot. I love that yeah. part of, the, of, the, of that. It's just brilliant. It's yeah. done really well. And you, you get an idea, because <laughs> until then, the, the, the actual siege itself is all fairly close-range yeah. shots. And that, when it pans back and you see the towers falling over, you get an idea of just how the massive that, yeah. that yeah that attack really was. Um, 
During the last day of the siege, if you look closely, you can see a burning siege tower. During production, one of the towers caught fire and was subsequently burned down, as one of the charges for the firebombs hadn't been put out correctly and was left smouldering overnight. It eventually caught the tower, lit up. Both director and producer Ridley Scott and production designer Arthur Max liked the aesthetic of the burnt tower and decided to actually use it in the film. Yeah, that's... It's like that's that, that's practical usage. Of, is, yeah. of, of, uh, yeah. like we didn't want this to happen, but now we've got the husk of a, of a Bansi Stav, we might as well use it. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Um, now, this is an interesting one, and, and kind of the primary thing that makes me want to watch the director's cut. Uh, Ridley Scott and writer William Monaghan felt that the unnamed character played by David Thewlis, uh, the, the hospitaller, as yeah. it's referred to in the credits, was actually an embodiment of God or at the very least, an angel on a mission from God. This is not at all apparent in the theatrical cut, but in the director's cut, there are two scenes which strongly hint at it. One where the character seemingly disappears after a conversation with Balian, and the other where he seems to resurrect Balian after he is attacked and injured by the three assassins. Ah. Yeah. And I, after reading that, I was paying more attention to it. And even even if once you've read that, and you watch just the, the theatrical cut, you kind of get that hint, because some of the things oh, yeah. he says, you're like, He oh, says okay. to him, like... You've got to get on the boat now, and if you make it there, then God has a plan for you, if not, yeah, God bless you. Yeah, he, he hints at stuff. I like, I'm not sure I want to see this theatrical cut now. Director's cut, you mean? Director's cut, sorry. I like the idea that they don't ever, in the in the version I saw, don't ever say whether God is real or God's mm. not. By making this character an embodiment of God, you're basically saying, oh no, God's real. Yeah. And when you say that, this film stops being about the atrocities that get caused in God's name and how we should all mm. avoid them <laughs> at all costs because, you know, it's not whatever that time period is anymore. <laughs> We've evolved. It becomes an actual story about... It becomes a religious story and a story about how God is guiding them all through I don't through think these. it makes much difference to the message because... Although, yeah, because it, even if it is, even if God is real, does cut, he really want us going out and and butchering other people who oh, yeah. also? If he's if he's uh, leading Balian on this journey into into battle and into war, then yeah, yeah, it may not actually be God. If he, if the embodiment of God is down there as whatever he is, like a like a different Knight Templar mm. or whatever, there because I the Knight's Hospitaller is the Knight's one that he belongs to. Then. Yeah, he's doing good, but he's still part of the war. Yeah. I think it, it, you could argue that it actually makes the the message stronger. It reinforces the message because it's like God doesn't care. God is quite happy for you to go and lop each other's arms and legs off in his name when you're both doing it in his name. So why do it at all? He clearly doesn't care yeah. who wins. He's just letting you go and do it for his amusement. But didn't you know that God decides the fate of all battles? Apparently so, yeah. yeah. And this film told me that. Yeah, I mean- <laughs> Me too. And then Salah Hadin is all just like, tell me, how many gods, how many battles did God ordain we should win before I came along? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, or should I say, boom. Or should I say, God put me here? Yeah, before yeah. God ordained that I should yeah. come along. And it's like, yeah, mate, you know where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> um, after being cast in the role of Godfrey, Liam Neeson realised he knew nothing about the Crusades and began his research with The Complete Idiot's Guide to the Crusades by Paul L. Williams. A book Neeson calls extremely informative, and one which is now on my reading list. Um, was this before or after he, he was he decided to go out and try and beat people up? <laughs> <laughs> with uh, yeah, 
was all part of his research. Yeah. <laughs> he was get, really getting into the character. Yeah, he's like, oh, oh, they're not white and they don't believe in God. It doesn't count. I'm allowed to beat them. <laughs> um, or as they say in the film, to kill an infidel is not murder. It's the path to heaven. It's the path to heaven. Um, after being cast as the hospitaller, David Thewlis visited the hospitaller's museum at St. John's Gate in London, near where he lives. While there, he discovered that his flat was actually built on the remains of the old priory of the hospitaller's headquarters. Oh, fascinating. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine discovering something like that. Ah, it was God's will. That it's I, God's I, I will. Get, oh, my God. I would get a part in the film. And it's I would all becoming here. clear yeah. to me now. Um, Maybe I am the embodiment of God. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> um, King Mohammed VI of Morocco <laughs> is a friend of Ridley Scott okay. and personally provided the production with a detachment of 1,500 military personnel and their equipment. Often these personnel depicted both Christian and Muslim armies with a change of costume and location between scenes. Oh, interesting. I mean, it comes to something when you're, you're, you're such a big director, you can claim that actual royalty yeah. are your friends and not just like you know, passing acquaintances. They will... Give you over a thousand men for a film you're making. Yeah, well, think about all the money that they're bringing, that Ridley Scott's bringing into Morocco. Oh, yeah, exactly. They, yeah. they must have paid a it's fortune like, to it. Yeah, we'll help you, but you're gonna, it's going to cost you fucking millions of your budget. <laughs> exactly. Um, after the film was pitched to them, studio marketing executives took it to be an action-adventure hybrid, rather than what Ridley Scott and William, William Monaghan intended it to be, a historical epic examining religious conflict. 20th Century Fox promoted the film as an action movie with heavy elements of romance. And in the advertising campaign, it made much of the from the director of Gladiator slogan. When Scott presented the 194-minute version of the film to the studio, it bulked at the length, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and studio head Tom Rothman ordered the film to be trimmed down to two hours, feeling people wouldn't go to see a three-hour movie. Ultimately, Rothman's decision backfired as the film gained mixed reviews, with many commenting that the film seemed incomplete... And it did not perform well at the US box office. I do. I had that thought when I was watching it. There are certain parts of this film that are structured and paced so it's like a slow burn. Like yeah. that beginning part where um, Goffrey goes and gets Bailey on and then they mm. start their journey and then they come across and they have the last little battle. That all seems to be paced like a three-hour film. Yeah. And then there's parts of the film where it's like, oh, no, this happens, this, this happens, happens, this happens. Yeah, just like, you always I get a fucking montage. Basically, it's the bit where they present Balian with the opportunity to become the new king, but only if Guy gets, uh, yeah. gets ex- executed, and he's like, no, and then it's just like, boom, one, boom, two, boom, three. These are the consequences, and it's like... <clears throat> <laughs> Where was the time you spent in the first, like, 45 minutes of this film? On the cutting room floor. Yeah. In fact, Dodie Dawn could probably tell us that, because uh, to create both the theatrical and director's cuts of the film, he worked for 15 months straight editing, compared to the usual editing process of a feature film being at most five months. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he could probably tell us if he isn't in an insane asylum somewhere eating the walls. Um. (laughs) 250,000 US dollars of the film's budget was spent on flags. I've got a note. Where's my note? It just says... Oh, God, I don't have any notes when we get to this film. <laughs> um, I think it just says something like, they fucking... 
They love a flag. They love they? a flag. I, yeah. They did back then. That was how you proclaimed who you were. You didn't have a social media presence. You had a cool flag. There's just flags everywhere. There are apparently 1,200 yeah. flags in total, comprising 650 individual designs, and they were made in England, Spain, India, and Morocco. Yeah. So they just basically commissioned artists the world over to design and make the particular flags yeah. and spent $250,000. There was a lot of flags in this. Um, it's just flags upon flags upon flags upon flags. Yeah. It's like, look, you know, some people are holding two flags. <laughs> We've got an extra one. Anyone want it? We yeah. paid a fuck ton for this flag. Someone hold it. Um, the French village at the start and end of the film was built near, I'm going to mispronounce this, Huesca, a small city in northern Spain. The castle seen in these scenes is a real crusader castle built in 1076, Castillo de Loire. As he would do in Morocco when building Ibelin, uh, produce, production designer Arthur Max decided to use traditional building techniques and local craftsmen. In Galicia, he found craftsmen who still did slate roofs, thatching and stone drywalling. And these men were employed to build the village set. So the village oh, okay. that they actually used was traditionally built. Yeah. Which is really an attention to detail that probably wasn't needed. Oh, yeah. But it probably cost them. It would have cost an absolute fortune. Yeah. Um. But it's a nice touch, and I like it when they do that in films, like like with Ironclad, yeah, where they, they built, built a castle. whole fucking castle. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that sort of touch. It costs an absolute fortune, but yeah, I just think if, if you're going to do something like this and you want it to be of the time, why not push it and go as far as you yeah. can to try and make it? And you can imagine that for those like Moroccan craftsmen, yeah, um, even the Spanish, even the Spaniards to a degree, that you know they, they probably. Don't get a massive amount of call for that sort oh, of no. work. So no. this would have been a big deal sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And probably, since it was... <laughs> and they're probably like, oh, big American film company coming. We'll charge them double. Make it rain, <laughs> bitches. Um, I only have a couple of alternate casting choices. Oh, okay. The role of King Richard I, who is on screen for all of about 30 seconds, yeah. was originally offered to Russell Crowe. But scheduling conflicts meant he couldn't do it. I think it's because Russell Crowe and God, yeah. Ridley Scott are just yeah. to BFFs. Um and Martin Sheen, who plays the priest uh, at the beginning, who obviously Balian Shanks, uh, actually auditioned for the role of King Baldwin. My very my second note in this film says, <laughs> I like Martin Sheen. I think he deserves a bigger role in this film. So do I. I think at the time, he wasn't the name he is now. Oh, no. Because no. um, Good Omens, obviously, yeah. propelled him up the... Oh, there's uh, a lot of things that propelled him, to be fair. He's, to be fair, that's, that's, that's about all I've seen him in. Oh, I've seen <laughs> a few things. There, were, there was this weird, weird horror film I watched on Netflix. Apostle, I think it might have been called. He was, he was really good. The film was weird, but he was really <laughs> good. I just like him. I've, I've seen him in a few things. Not like I can really remember what they are, but... I, I rate him as an actor. Yeah, I, I rate him as well. He seems like a really nice oh, guy he does, as well, he did, I've heard. During lockdown as well, we did this show with David Tennant on BBC where they were basically just Skyping each other and moaning about their lives. <laughs> it was actually quite funny. I can imagine because him I and David it, Tennant yeah. are they're just entertaining characters. Yeah, he's, um, I think it was like part improvised, part kind of... Like, yeah. It was really quite funny, actually. Um, Steve Coogan and... Oh, yeah, Steve Coogan did one with the Welsh... Guy. I can't remember was his name. I don't know. Um, it was Steve Coogan and another yeah. comedian. I can't remember his name. And they Rob, did something very Rob similar. Rob Brydon? Rob Brydon. That's the one. Yeah. And they did, yeah, they went on the trip. They, they did they a trip. And the then trip. they also did a thing where they basically, I think they did something similar where yeah. they just call each other and bitch and moan and yeah. 
just be I'll entertaining. Bet. I haven't seen it, but I bet that's funny. Steve Coogan is a very funny man. Um, now, Orlando Bloom had recently finished filming for Troy when he was oh, okay. approached for this film and initially refused to even read the script because he didn't want to do another historical epic. It was only when he was told that Ridley Scott was making it that he decided to give it a read and then the script won him over and he decided to, yeah, okay, I'll do another historical epic. Yeah, and they added a couple of extra zeros onto the <laughs> Yeah, onto, probably. Onto the fee. It's like, I'm not even going to read the script. Oh, well, we really want him. Offer him more money. Give him more money. Tell him Ridley's involved and tell him we'll give him an extra 10. <laughs> um, filming of the Siege of Jerusalem took longer than the actual siege. 21 days compared to 13. Oh, okay. Um, Jeremy Irons' character was... We, we are approaching the end of my trivia, I swear. It's fine. Um, Jeremy Irons' character was renamed Tiberius, which is one of the coolest names in the world, and I really wish Amy had relented and let me call my child that. Because having a child named Tiberius would be fucking awesome. But alas, alas, that was one of the first names she shot down. I just, I mean, awesome for who? Me. Which is what's important (laughs) at the end of the day. (laughs) When he's at school and there's all his kids that like got there. Mate, right, there are some names in his school. I won't call out particular ones. Well, I will. I'll call out Joel. Yeah. It's like you were a fan of Billy Joel and Superman and you couldn't make up your mind which to go with, so you just mashed them together into some unholy amalgam. Um, what was the other one? Tenaya. That's the yeah, but that's, that sounds cultural to me. Oh, uh, Jaden, Aiden, Caden, Aiden, Raiden, Yaden, Daden, Maiden, Naden. All of them, just they take the, the, the name Aiden and stick another unnecessary letter at the front of it. There's about ten of them in each year. This is starting to sound a bit... Oh no, we, me and Amy love doing that. We look at people's names and take the piss out of them. Anyway, Jeremy Irons' character was renamed Tiberius. Despite, it's not just for the podcast I do this sort of shit, guys. This is, this is actually just what I'm like. This is how I'll make it through life, just <laughs> judging and making Judging other people because they're not as good as me. Despite hit the, <laughs> Jeremy Irons' fuck's sake. Jeremy Irons' character <laughs> was renamed Tiberius despite his historical counterpart being named Raymond III of Tripoli because the studio felt that audiences would get confused having two main characters with names that begin with R. For this reason, we will not be allowing guests on this podcast whose yeah. name begin with R. Yeah. <laughs> and guys, if you're confused, I mean, don't be stupid. <laughs> or Basically. Rooney, or, or Rooney will tell Amy about you. and both, We will sit there and judge you. And judge and laugh. I'll tell you what, if you're confused, write into us. Uh, tell us your names, your spouse's name, if you have one. Any children or family members' names you have. And then Amy and I will sit down and judge you based on the names of your family. Let's face it, if they don't know us in real life, there's no way anybody with a partner is listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Right. Brace yourselves, guys, because historical knowledge bombs coming. Oh, and this exciting. is the, I mean, you can see that's the start of the note. Oh, God. that's the end of the note. <clears throat> Put on my lecturer voice. Despite what is shown in the film, Balian of Ibelin was actually at the Battle of Hattin. Hattin is the battle not shown in the film, only its aftermath of slaughtered crusaders. So the one we were talking about where, like, they all march out there yeah. and didn't get butchered because they didn't take any water. The one I referenced when I turned up at your front door having walked here. Yeah. Yes, that one. <laughs> Historically, the Crusader army was gathered on the coast of Acre, then marched inland to a small town called Zippori, which was about 25 kilometres from Hattin and had plenty of water. Guy was counselled not to move the army further because of the lack of water in the desert. When they moved anyway, Balian was given command of the critically important rearguard of the Knights Templar and Knights Hospitaller Warrior Monks. 
After a terrible march through the desert in the heat without water, the men were almost dead on their feet from exhaustion and thirst. Balian persuaded King Guy to stop and make camp near the foot of the hill known as the Horns of Hattin. Their situation that night was especially torturous, torturous even, because they were within sight of the freshwater sea of Galilee, and the Saracen army, which by then had them almost surrounded, had plenty of water and were ostentatiously wasting it in front of the thirsty Europeans, because a troll. Yeah. Um, the following day, Saladin's army virtually annihilated the Crusader army. Captured nobles were ransomed for great sums of money. The Templars and Hospitallers, considered to be fanatics, were all executed out of hand. All other captured soldiers were sold into slavery, which caused such a glut in the slave trade at the time that they were sold for next to nothing and it almost crashed the slave market. One man was reportedly sold in exchange for a pair of sandals. Balian himself survived and escaped the battle. Saladin gave him safe passage to Jerusalem to collect his family, provided he vowed not to take up arms again. However, in Jerusalem, the people begged him to stay and organise a defence. He asked Saladin to release him from his vow, and Saladin not only allowed him to take over the defence of the city, but also arranged safe passage for Balian's family before the siege began. The scene after the battle, where Saladin offered a drink, with real snow from the mountains, to King Guy, is factual, as, he, as is his comment that he did not give the cup to Reynold of Châtillon. In the moral code of the time, hospitality implied clemency, yet Saladin had sworn to kill Reynold for, with his own hands for all the trouble he had caused. Saladin was proven many times to be a man of honour, so he could not in good conscience offer a man a drink and then kill him. There we go. <laughs> that was fascinating. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people actually are still awake, so uh, wake up, guys. I found, I found it fascinating. I'd quietly just sit here and let you just... <laughs> let me just talk about the Crusades. ...historical facts <laughs> for the rest of the episode, to be honest. Yeah, I... I I'll try to, to whittle that down into a, a smaller yeah. form, but I was like, I can't do anything without missing anything that is actually required for this note to make sense. So do you think in the director's cut, you get to see that battle? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they kept in all the battles and just cut out like the, the, the character building stuff um, behind the scenes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't well, I've got a copy of it. I'll send it over to you and we can watch it and then... Uh, we can do uh, next week. We will do Kingdom of Heaven Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were two hundred and fifty crossbows, twenty thousand arrows, three thousand shields, and seven thousand five hundred weapons made for the film. And I really wish I'd get my hands on something because they're yeah. really cool. Um, the shipwreck sequence was the last scene to be added before the film's release. Oh, Since okay. it is too exper expensive, take a take a note here, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's too expensive to build one ship from scratch, only to destroy it. Ridley Scott opted to use a combination of outtakes of the Siege of Jerusalem, shots of Balian with his attire digitally altered, a CGI model of a ship, archive footage of a heavy sea storm, and outtakes from his own earlier film, White Squall. The creation of this non-existent scene is explained in detail on the four-disc director's cut DVD. That was another note. A bug or something crawled up my nose. Um... So yeah, none of that actually was real. Yeah. It was all That's just basically weird. other bits pasted together yeah. to make like this this five minute sequence. I did I did kind of think it seemed a bit weird, but at the same time, I was more caught up in uh, oh, so he's the only survivor. Him and the horse. Him how and the horse. That, how that horse <laughs> survives the ship going down is beyond my capability. If, if I may paraphrase the uh, the Templar that we see several times in this, God wills it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and body count. Oh. So, 
1,578 plus 16 horses. Oh, poor horses. <laughs> Again, we don't care about the people oh, being yeah. butchered. We're all about the horses. So there we go. That was the longest notes in tu- the longest trivia. trivia in Tutjig history. <laughs> I found it all fascinating, though. Next week, I'm going to keep it really short. There's only going to be like how much money they made, who was in it, and the body count. <laughs> No, because that means I've got to put, put more effort in making notes next week. This is true, yes. Yeah, so just keep doing what you're doing. Um, <laughs> my first note is a pretty obvious one. What man is a man if he does not make the world a better place? A podcaster. Yes. <laughs> I think we make the world a better place. We have at least one joke per episode that can make someone smile with they're not having a That's good time. That's true, yeah. So therefore, we're making the world And a we probably place. insult some people that richly deserve it, so... Yeah. Are we already out over an hour? My God. So the, 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 I'll just look at the, the... I've been keeping an eye on it because we're using a new setup today, guys, to record this. And, yeah, I've been keeping an eye on the recording to make sure it does actually keep going. And, yeah, we're over an hour already. And well, it's just good. basically been an hour of me talking. <laughs> uh, I once fought two days with an arrow in my testicle. Yeah, I... <laughs> That line was just Liam Neeson reminiscing yeah. about his youth. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't scripted or anything. He was like, oh, yeah, so anyway, Orlando, I once fought for two days with narrow through my testicle. I was part of the National Front. <laughs> <laughs> I had to slap at some blankies with my massive cock. Because <laughs> he has got a massive schlong. So we hear, yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you not seen the videos? I don't want to see the videos. It's like a baby's arm just like wedged into his trousers. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's the second conversation of this type I've had this week. What, about massive dicks? Yeah, all the women in my office had a massive conversation about... Huge penises. Apparently there's this series on Netflix, I can't remember what it's called, but one of the characters has got a huge cock, and they showed it on Gogglebox. And so that was a conversation for about an hour in my office. All these women talking about this giant cock, and now you're doing it. Well, I mean, giant cocks make the world go round, apparently. I mean, we've got Boris, we had Trump, yeah. All these massive cocks. <laughs> we sent a cock, giant cock to space as well this week. Yeah. Did we? Oh, yeah, we did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I hate that, man. Really do. Um, so this is another historic, historical film that takes some liberties with historical facts, as I just pointed oh, out yeah, in a massive do, note. Yeah. Um, but well, then what historical facts are these? Historical facts told to us by who? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, most of, most of the reports in that time come from William of Tyre who was a, a, a monk and chronicler who basically wrote down all the shit that happened. Yeah, because he had no agenda whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, he probably did. I think the agenda was... Survive. Yeah, I, uh, yeah survive. Don't get like my head lopped off. Yeah. Um, although, to be fair, this is closer to the truth than, than a lot of other historical films oh, are. Yeah. Um, well, the truth that we've told. And, and I'll, I'll try and avoid getting on my high horse about it because... Well, everyone just sat through my high horse tirade on the fucking trivia and we don't need that for the rest of it. Um, I guess you thought, and God wasn't backing you today, random German guy. <laughs> I, I love, love that, that random German yeah. guy. It's just like, you say he's guilty, I say he's innocent. We fight and let God uh, decide. And then it's like, oh, God decided, mate. You got shot through I, the throat. I love that scene because it's like, you, they set it up and you're just like oh yeah look at this company of rogues we're yeah. going to get to know them and we're going to see them fighting the, the Muslims oh no okay they died fi- yeah. fighting a bunch of uh, French soldiers it for was no a, reason it was a very refreshing like misdirect yeah because you're like oh here they are yeah I picked him up they're all going to go look at these badasses and then they don't and then he meets another group of people 
when he first becomes a lord mm. or a knight, sorry, and he takes over Abilene. And then by the end of the film, they're not even there anymore. They're not even there anymore. It's just like, oh, okay, well, guess, guess that we won't get to meet these interesting characters. No, I guess that's life. You... Um, I loved her in my fashion. I am your father. <laughs> what a way to discover who your dad is. You know, he boffed your mum, fucked off to the Holy yeah. Land, left you living as a poor fucking blacksmith, and then comes back and goes, Oh, hi, son, yeah. I'm your daddy. <laughs> Don't worry, I did love her in my own in way. In my own way. Yeah. Which is anally. Which is, means I just basically impregnated her and then got Fucked on my life. <laughs> but I loved her enough to impregnate her and not do it on her face. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of whores I met on my travels that just got it on the face. They just got it up the nostril, mate. But I had a slight modicum more respect for your mother, so I decided to impregnate her. I just wanted a cream pie, mate. <laughs> I had the scribe writing. Oh, we didn't, they didn't have videos to make porn back then. They had to get the poor scribe to sit there and I write it I was on a up. mission. It was called the Cream Pie Crusade. <laughs> cream Pie Crusade. <laughs> I had to cream pie a woman every, every finish I went to. Oh, grim. <laughs> the true history of the Crusades. It was not about religion. It was about who could cream pie the most women. Now, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, God wills it. <laughs> I'm gonna do that next time. This is gonna be like, oh no no no, not my face, not my face. God wills it. <laughs> That's my excuse for everything from now on. I'm just gonna scream that out, and no one can gainsay me. <laughs> oh my god! You should just always have sex in a white vest with a St George's cap on. Look at an England shirt. Yeah. Well, just, I, I can't shave one into my chest. I'll get some red gloss paint yeah. and just paint it on. God wills it! God wills it! It's going in your butt! Um, uh, we, <laughs> we talked about the fight with Godfrey and his, his crew of uh, his little rogues gallery. Yeah. Um, Balia <coughs> fights pretty well for a blacksmith with two minutes of training. Where... Yeah, obviously I've got I've got a slightly different note that says the same thing. The man you killed was a very great cavalier among the Muslims. He can't have been that good. He got killed by a fucking blacksmith. He got killed by a fucking blacksmith, yeah. and it's like he was so, and then he fights like he's only just learnt the high guard, and then he manages to murk all these people. Yeah. Then he goes all the way to the far or to the Middle East, <laughs> and then the first time you ever you see him use the high guard, he's he's like perfected it. Yeah. yeah. It's. I, mean, I can understand it later on in the film because oh, yeah, know, he'd have been time. training with his yeah. with his, his um his men at arms and stuff. But yeah, like within two minutes of being given yeah. that sword, he's fighting for his life against like actual yeah. trained soldiers, and he just butchers them. It's like God damn. Many of his his little cohort who are like <laughs> trained soldiers just get murked, including the German guy. Oh yeah, but I mean that German guy is pretty badass because he yeah, gets shot yeah. through the throat and you think, oh, that's a game over. Yeah. And then he's just like, actually, no, I'm not dead yet. That Gets scene, up and just goes and butchers someone. That scene where he's, he has the sword and the axe and, mm. he, put, and he crosses him. That's fucking awesome. He's he's pretty cool. And to be honest, I'd have liked to see more of him. But oh yeah, I would have liked to have him to have ended up in like in Jerusalem, back in Jerusalem, yeah. like murking bitches. Oh, pardon me. Um, it's also a very bleak fight, that one. Yeah. Because I, I think I mentioned this later on. Uh, basically, all of the the melee fights in this film, all of the fights in this film, they strip away any sort of like Heroic. notions of yeah heroism yeah. and nobility, and they are all just like brutal. Yeah, it's just like I'm just gonna gut you and you're gonna bleed out on the sand. Yeah. 
wow, okay. Uh, chivalry is dead, I take yeah. it? Because... <laughs> I mean... I really liked every single fight scene in this film. Mm. And, they, but they, and they are very good at gradually upping the stakes. Yeah, ramping time. it up. Until you get to that final battle that's just bigger than you can your imagination. Yeah, it's also more unpleasant than, yeah. than you can imagine because it's just it's horrendous. Um, I have the... Well, this was the second of my quotes from this film, but we've already uh, done the arrow in my testicle. Oh, no, it's my third because we've done the okay. arrow in my testicle. And, yeah, you know, I love doing my way. Love cream pie. Um, be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. Now, if you take I away the magical sky wizard nonsense... I was about to say, take God out. I think every, That's a really good way to live your life. Every human being should take that oath on their, on their 18th birthday. Yeah, and then... And that's so you remember slapped, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not sexist, men and women. <coughs> yep, you all get slapped in the face. I'll oh. slap anyone. Oh, God. I don't care. It's 2021. Equality. I don't care. Man, woman, other... I'll slap you in the face. Oh, Jesus. Uh, to kill an infidel is not murder. It's the path to heaven. I can't even begin to fathom the I mean, mindset of someone. That, was, uh, that, that. That, that, that wasn't just some lunatic preacher, you know, having... No, his, that was... That was, that was actually a papal yeah. ball at the time that basically said, officially, killing an infidel isn't murder and anything, basically anything you do in the service of God in the Crusades... We'll yeah, it, it will, all of those sins will be wiped clean because they're done in the name of God and you'll go to heaven for them and it's like man that was fucked up whoever the guy that like a long time ago in a, in a, on an F far 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 away <laughs> sat down and came up with Christianity and was just like if I create this being that no one can prove if he's real or not but mm. you know we all believe in if he is the law then I can never be held to account for anything anymore. I can just yeah. say it was his... Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. He was a bit of a genius, right? He was a clever clever lad, yeah. And that's why so many people tried to emulate it over yeah. the years by like, yeah, if I invent this this omnip- omnipotent, omniscient power who decrees that we do these things, then I'm not responsible for doing these things because he told me to do it and he's in charge. So... Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's why people get into religions, isn't it? Yeah, they need it to. Is. They need that that comfort that someone is running the show, and they can't. And for a lot of people, it's oh, well, it's not my fault. God wills it. So, yeah, um, probably the reason I don't like it. Yeah, I'll just come to that now when I get to it later. Um, oh, hey there, Doctor Bashir. You're a long way from DS9, aren't you? I, I don't get any of this reference. No, uh, the the guy we were talking about who, Balian doesn't take as a slave when he could oh, okay, yeah, his yeah. master that's the, I can't remember the guy's name I meant to look it up I did recognise him but I assumed he was in Game of Thrones no uh, he, he may have been he crops up all over the place yeah. playing Arabs okay. um, <laughs> and he originally played Dr. Julian Bashir in Deep Space Nine ah interesting yeah um, I wonder how long it took them to dig that well <laughs> because <laughs> their tools aren't exactly cutting edge <laughs> it's hot and that ground looks pretty solid to it me. It does, doesn't it? But and it's impressive when when you see it dug I reckon it took weeks. Probably. Yeah. And they they'd probably been working in shifts twenty four hours yeah. a day to get there in any kind of reasonable time. But I love how I love how Balian, who up until this point is a blacksmith yeah. who has some god given gift with the sword. He also knows about irrigation, yeah. digging wells, managing land. I got some notes on this later. I mean he, Jesus. Um, I expect your hospitality. Regardless of how hot you are, 
Come at me with an attitude <laughs> like that and you are getting nothing. I don't know. Some hot piece of ass like that rides up to me looking all like that and says I expect your hospitality. Bitch, this is my bedroom. <laughs> I, just, I, I expect you to suck my cock. Now, where's the compromise? <laughs> um, God wills it. We just talked about this, but I'll just finish the note. So, God wills it. It seems to me that God wills whatever it is you want to do. Can I claim that God wills it whenever I want to do something sketchy to remove myself from any responsibility? I mean, you can. So I don't if, know if you get away with it these days. But... If I convert to being a Christian tomorrow, I can basically just claim God wills everything and just do whatever I want. Right? I mean, you can. Unfortunately, we live in what is largely a secular society rather than a theological one. So, Damn. Yeah, you know, you could try it, but you'll probably still go to prison. Trump ever comes back to me about the time machine, I'm going back there going and back. I'm playing that God wills it card. No separation of church and state. Yeah. Um, Godfrey's men didn't take much convincing that Balian was Godfrey's son. No. Like, he literally just showed that he knew how tall he was and what colour his eyes were yeah. and he had his sword. It's like, he could have killed him in a fucking tavern and just taken yeah. note of it. And they're just like, okay, come on, let's yeah. go. We're taking you home. <laughs> I, I feel there was more to that. They got lost in the edit. Yeah, I, I mean, are we supposed to like? I don't know, they just they just know because yeah. God is telling them. God wills it. Oh, God willed it. It's fine. Um, God willed it. I have a, a quote from the hospitaller here. Okay. Um, which I was going to do a David Thewlis impression, but I tried doing it and it just doesn't work. <laughs> and and he deserves better than that. And so does this quote. I put no stock in religion. By the word of religion, I have seen the lunacy of fanatics of every denomination be called the will of God. I have seen too much religion in the eyes of too many murderers. Holiness is in right action and courage on behalf of those who cannot defend themselves and goodness. Once again, take out all the God nonsense and it's a pretty good way to live your life. It's probably the most important line in this entire film, right? Mm. I mean, that is, that yeah. is for, especially for, for Balian. That is a real turning point yeah. because he kind of lives by that creed. A, com- a com- combination of that and what he's, he's night's oath yeah. for the rest of the film. Yeah. And this is the reason the film plays out the way it does. But it, it also, piece of red string here, harks back to the discussion we had last week uh, about Anne Rice and her views on religion and yeah. the church. Because she believes in God, but not the church yeah. and the religion that it perpetuates. And here is another film basically espousing exactly the same message in the director's cut by God himself or an angel. Have faith, but don't don't buy into the religion that oppresses people. Yeah, um, don't buy the hype. I need a, a leper mask to do this podcast in if you're going to keep insisting on filming it. <laughs> it's too late. I know. It's far, far too late. Although, the first time we did this with video, it was I ended up using a, a, a screenshot. Last week, I probably won't end up... I'll probably end up doing something the same because... Like I said, I spent three hours editing it and it all went to shit. Um, this week, however, using our new setup, oh. you're right there. We can see where you've been, you've been leaning on your knee. Looks like you've got yeah, leprosy. I know. <laughs> Giving myself some leprosy. Me, on the other hand, you can barely see me because I can't get much closer to the microphone because I'll just blow it up and just be distorting all the time. In all seriousness, though, the mask gives the king an otherworldly quality which sets him apart from the normies. It does. I quite like it. Whenever you see him and he's wearing the mask, it's just like... It kind of gives him this aura of just like... It separates him, yeah. doesn't it? It makes him stand out. Unfortunately, there's no historical record of King Baldwin IV wearing a mask. Oh. Though he did definitely have leprosy. Because um, oh. he was known as uh, King Baldwin the Leper. Or oh, just okay. the Leper. Um, I, I called him the Leper King in all my notes. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> I did say I wasn't going to get on my high horse. But I am temporarily mounting my high horse. 
I said this the first time I saw it, and I've said it almost every time since, and when anyone discusses this film with me, which I don't do anymore probably for this very reason, um, but I take issue with this film's depiction of the Templars as bloodthirsty zealots and warmongers. Yeah, I I didn't write down because I was trying not to piss you off. <laughs> the, the Templars do not come off very they well. They do not. At all. Rather than be the what I have, I was led to believe Templars were, which were people that helped helped um, the vulnerable they, they on the road. They guarded the pilgrims guard, on the yeah. road, yeah. They come across like fucking gammons. Yeah, right they really dickheads. do. Yeah. And for, the, for story reasons, I can understand why they did that, because they needed a very clear sort of cause of the issue, almost almost like an antagonist in it that we, that we get to see. And the Templars were just there and they fit that role. And it also plays nicely into the, the Templars were bad, um, like rhetoric that led to their uh, suppression and dissolution and being burned at the stake back in the day. But the whole reason the Templars rose to become such a powerful in, uh, institution and effectively the first multinational corporation, banking corporation, is because they were the exact opposite of bloodthirsty zealots and warmongers. Yeah. They would trade equally with, with Muslims, with Jews, with, with Italians, with Englishmen. They didn't care. As long as you were following the will of God and you didn't break the laws, they would trade with you and what have you. So... Um, yeah, I understand why they did it. It makes sense, but yeah, it annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. Film... I mean, nobody else cares. That's just no, that's just one yeah. of my bugbears. Okay, let's move on. The scenes where Saladin's mar- the scene where Saladin marches on Kirak are truly epic, especially once the Leopard King turns up as well. Mm. It's like it's the first escalation that you finally see how big their armies are. Yeah. And just when you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, aren't we going to finally see? <laughs> oh. No, they truce, and they both go go their own way. But it's it's it whets the appetite for what comes later. Yeah. Because you, you truly see the size of the armies. And I don't know how they did it, but it looks spectacular. Yeah. And I don't think they got half a million extras. Well, they, 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 they dropped the number 200,000 men. A couple of times. Yeah. Um, so Saladin's army was 200,000 men or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, but I think they had the 1,500 actual actors and then the rest of it was digital chicanery oh, okay. because they probably would have replicated them, um, like copy and paste something. Yeah. Like they, a bit like they did with... Uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that, that, that fight at Kerak got very strong Lord of the Ring vibes. Yeah. Where Balian rides his handful of knights up. Yeah. Um, Against and just charges against the the the, the opposing force, yeah. which is like three or four times its size, sort of thing. And you get some real like two towers, oh yeah, type uh, Helm's Deep sort of vibes there. It's really cool. Um, fucking love Jeremy Irons, and I wish he was in more stuff. Yes, I wish he. I wish he played a bigger role in this film. I don't know what role, but yeah, yeah, was, I can't think. It was kind of. He's wasted. perfect for that role, yeah. but I don't think he gets enough time. I wouldn't like to see him as the villain, like playing. Um, Guy or yeah. what's his name, the the, the redhead guy, um, oh Reynard, Reynard, that's it. Um, and I don't think he wouldn't have worked for Bailey and obviously told could have worked for Godfrey, but again, it w- would have been a very short role. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. I, 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 very, I, very good. The only other fit, well, I can only think of two other films that he's been in that I've seen. One of them is Assassin's Creed, and the other one is the awful Dungeons and Dragons film made in the nineties, where he has a big role playing the villain. And he's the best thing about that film. <laughs> oh, he was he was in um, the TV show version of Watchmen. 
he plays Ozymandias, but an old man version of Ozymandias <laughs> in the future, and he is incredible in it because he's just crazy. But yeah, he plays the craziness. <laughs> just Jeremy Irons is just awesome. We should get him on the show, Jeremy, Mr. Irons. If you listen to this, get in touch. We'll get you on here. We'll we'll rent an actual like studio or something rather than squeezing you into this little sweat box of a, of a recording studio slash office. <laughs> um, when the Leopard King does turn up to meet Saladin's army, mm. he's wearing an even funkier version of his mask. Yeah, because it's all engraved yeah. and shit. It's like the last one was cool because it was like Damascus steel. Yeah. And this one is engraved and you're like, oh man. Must have been horribly warm under there, though. Has he got a mask for every occasion? <laughs> Probably. I mean, enjoys being a king. Yeah. I might get one of those just for like going to the supermarket. Um, I think I'd rather die than kiss the leper king's hand. Yeah, that's. I feel like kiss my hand a piece. I'll be like, no, mate, just kill me. Now. Just, just fucking kill me now, yeah. mate. Yeah. Um, all the tabards, cloaks, surcoats, chainmail, etc. Yeah. Um, I mean, they look cool, yeah. but. They must have been hot oh, as hell yeah, in the Holy yeah, yeah. Land because it's regularly this sort of temperature. Yeah. And you're wearing all of that shit. Uh, equally, when they were filming in Morocco and Spain, um, again, you don't want to be wearing much more than, than like shorts and a t-shirt out there. Yeah. And there they are with these layer upon layer of linen and chain mail and all that shit. Oh, man. How much Fuck are you that. paying me for this? It's not enough. No. <laughs> um, when Saladin gets questioned on why he backed off at Kirak, this is a good lesson for every viewer. When you are in a position of power or authority, there is always someone who thinks they can do the job better than you. Yeah. Yeah, every fucking time. Yeah. And usually they can't. They just don't want you don't want to do don't it the way it. you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um I legit feel guided when the leper king passes. Yeah, it's genuinely sad because yeah. you're kind of like, oh no, because no he's, he's cool. He's the good reasonable guy in this that's just like, oh no. I am maybe king, but we can all we can all work together. We can all, we can all pray here. It doesn't matter who we're praying to, what rules we believe. It's all good. We can all get on as one. And then when he dies, I'm just like, oh no, the world's gonna go to shit. It's all gonna go yeah. to shit. And if, like from then on, just everyone dies because yeah. shortly after the hospitaler, we see his like decapitated yeah. head in a pile of other heads. Although he still looks like he's smiling, which is slightly unnerving. Although the leper king does look like an orc without his mask. Yeah, what's his name? Azok the Pale or yeah. whatever is from fucking um, The Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that was actually... Um, a design thing No, uh, Ed Norton's face. No. Was it just a prosthetic? I reckon it was just a prosthetic. I really love the idea of Ed Norton like, sitting there in makeup for, for eight hours. Eight hours. Just while they do that, just for that one for scene. The three second shot. Yeah. Also... No, I don't think he's doing it. Eva Green. She hot as fuck. Where oh, did yeah. she? I, I I know she was in one of the Bond films. She Casino was in Royale, Casino Royale. She's in Sin City too. Uh, she was in. I saw that. I looked her up on IMDb because I was like, I I don't know who you are. And it says like not? she's in these films, oh. and I was like, huh. Oh, what was that TV show I really liked that she was in? Um, Josh Hartnett was in it as well. Um. Josh Hartnett likes Josh Hartnett. Was it the Josh Hartnett show? No, it was it's set back in the day. It's so like Frankenstein was in it, and well, Doctor Frankenstein was in it. Oh, what was oh, it called? Is it Carnival Row? Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. She was in Penny. She's really good. She plays like one of the main characters. But That's yeah. on my list of things to watch. I watched this. I didn't realize she was in it, and then when she turned up, I was like, I, all I could think was, do you think Eva Green is pissed off that she only ever gets to play? 
the attractive kind of <laughs> love interest who doesn't really do anything other than be attractive. I don't know. It depends how much money she gets paid. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'd play the love interest who doesn't do anything but play the love interest for, you know, five figures for a tenner. <laughs> for a tenner. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a stubborn man. I'm not a prideful man. That's why. That's why I liked her in Penny Dreadful. There was a lot more to her because she was a main character. Yeah. On a TV show, there was a there was far more chance for her to actually act. Yeah. And not just look pretty like she does in most things I see her in. Yeah. But goddamn, she is pretty. She is. She is yeah. gorgeous. She's very stu- Very striking to yeah. look at. And I like, looked her up, and she still looks like that now. She like her being in Sin City Two is one of its only redeeming features. I can't even to, remember Sin Sin City Two. To be fair, like because of like as well, like the way her character dresses and mm. it's all very stylized, and they really push home just how hot <laughs> she is. Yeah. Oh, maybe I will rewatch it. Yeah. Um, there's a real lack of smiling in this film. Yeah, would you smile in that heat? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. If I was Orlando Bloom, I just found out that I'm no longer a poor blacksmith who has yeah, to be miserable over his dead wife. I'm he's now never a lord. Been you. So he doesn't know how lucky he is to be Orlando yeah, Bloom. That's true. This is true. He's always been Orlando, Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Yeah. But he does get to boff Eva Green. Yeah. You know. I'd smile after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would make me. That make most people smile. I think. <laughs> Talking about Bailey and though, I can't figure out why a blacksmith could turn up in Jerusalem and have everything offered to him on a plate. Meetings with a king, the queen, and subsequently the command of the armed forces of Jerusalem. I know people respected his father, but is that enough for him to just waltz in like waltz in there like their saviour? Mm. I think it, it's, it's just it's, everything gets he, had, handed I think the respect to for his father is to foot in the door. Yeah. And then they sort of get to know him and they see the uh, the, the, the the fight at Karak really sort of cements his position. I get I get why he gets introduced to the king because the king knew his dad. Yeah. I know why she's in love with him because he's a good looking guy. And apparently she loved his dad, so therefore she's going to love him. Oh my god! That's how that's how it worked back in the day. Apparently, Jesus, yeah. keeping it in the family, guys. Um, but but he just kind of seems to people. Oh, he'll do it. Yeah, he does have a charmed life all the he? way through the film, and then like at the end when he's the the defender of Jerusalem, it's like surely there's like better, more trained, more worthy people to do it. Like, why is everyone just suddenly looking to him? Historically, they did look to him because he was the best. Type. Everyone else was either dead, yeah, run away, or captured. Historically, does he have the same story? Was did, was he a blacksmith that came from nothing? I don't no, think because so, he went no. and fought in in that battle that he's not, he doesn't fight in the film. No, he earns probably in reality he earned the right to have it in the yeah. film. It just seems maybe it's just because he earns it in the director's cut. But in this film, it just seems to like he just keeps waltzing. I think he gets, he gets really positions. lucky because if like it had been someone else was his dad, yeah, and brought him over there, he wouldn't. His dad was really respected and had earned that place, and he kind of he rests on his dad's laurels quite a bit yeah. to get there. And yeah, uh, people just assume, oh, your dad was great. He was he was my friend, so I'll be friends with you. Actually, you seem okay, and your dad was pretty cool. So yeah, it's a bit of an old boys club, I think. Yeah, Getting yeah. the impressions jobs for the boys, isn't it? Yeah, I've only known you five minutes, but I'll give you my sister and the chance sister. to like you know be king of Jerusalem. <laughs> to be fair, there was a lot of that going on back then. Yeah, they were all trying to marry off of each other to gain power or, or stop someone else gaining power. It just feels like he just blindly walks from one lottery win to the next. I mean. God wills it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Guy, he's a right prick. He's a bastard. What happens to him? 
because he gets captured, obviously, and then we see him, he gets wheeled out on the ass in his underwear. See, in the first battle, when they when they go to check on, they see all the vultures and the dead mm. bodies, there's two heads yeah. on spikes. You've got Reynard, which is obvious, and then there's a dark-haired head. And I, so I assumed he's dead. Assumed it was him. But then they bring him out on the donkey, which I've got a note later on that basically just says, a big smile crept across my face as I watched Guy being on a donkey. But yeah. you never find out what happens. Again, I'm assuming in the director's cut that was just, something that got yeah, dropped. But I, I assume in the director's cut that I'd, you'd probably I'd, see him get fucking fired at. <laughs> I would imagine they would have paraded him around on the donkey and then just killed him. I don't know because they, they keep him they use that as like a it's a humiliation thing it's a, yeah. it's a psychological which doesn't work because nobody liked him anyway um, but I, I assume either they would have let him go at that point or sent him over to Jerusalem yeah because they, at I this point know. they'd already like extended him hospitality so they, they weren't going to kill him they just wanted to like embarrass humiliate. him humiliate him so that he'd have to go I can't remember what happens to him whether he died or whether like historically whether he died or went back to France but yeah, the film just kind of yeah, here yeah. he is. Oh, is that humiliating? Right, forget about him. Yeah, Balian's doing something cool. He's he's doing a Legolas moment. Now, um, imagine. I mean, this goes back to the the battle at Kerak. Imagine getting all kitted out for war, marching all the way to your enemy's castle, and then being told to turn around, march all the way back home again because your boss spoke to their boss and the battle's yeah. off. It's like, man. I mean, you'd be all hyped. You'd be like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm gonna kill me some Christians. And then they're just like, no, no, go home. For fuck's sake, really? I've just trekked miles across the desert carrying this fucking banner. Yeah. <laughs> I've carried three fucking flags for you, and you won't even let me kill an infidel. Oh, I had to stab Jesus. an infidel with this one. Yeah, that would be frustrating. That would be just so annoying. Yeah. But then, would they see it as annoying, or would they just see it as an easy day of being a soldier? All I had to do today was do some marching. I didn't have to. I mean, I suppose, yeah, you know, and they don't have to die. Risk my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, when did a blacksmith become an expert on war? He yeah, when he does the thing with the, the four hundred yards and all that, the marking out yeah. the stones, it's like it's very it's clever. Not but it's, it's not just that. It's when he when Guy's like, we're gonna march on him, and he's like, oh for fuck's sake, come on, <laughs> engage your two brain cells. They want you to march on them because they've got the advantage. Then you wait till they come to you. You'll have the water. They won't. And he's like, I am not listening to a blacksmith. Yeah, when, when I want <laughs> a blacksmith's opinion on war, I will tell him. Yeah. it's like. Yeah, but I mean, he was right. But how was he right? Yeah, how I did mean, he know that? Did Godfrey just like then, spend yeah. that entire ride just drilling this shit into his brain? When he's got this, when he's got that weird little kind of telescopic, yeah. weird thing, and he's like, work out the yards, work out because then we'll know where to shoot. And yeah, it's like, when did you become? When did you learn all of this, Sun Tzu? Yeah, Sun Tzu. Yeah, Sun Tzu. Yeah. <laughs> when did you become in? Maybe they maybe he had a copy of the Art of War and just like read it. Although the Art of War doesn't actually detail any of the practical things like that. <laughs> Why, when they are dropping like flies due, due to dehydration, did Guy and his army continue to march towards battle? Is it just pride and ignorance? Yeah, pride, ignorance, stubbornness, yeah. and a, a misplaced belief that God wouldn't let them fail. Yeah, which obviously, as we saw, was, yeah. it was a massacre at the Battle of Hatton. But yeah, um, I do like the bit where. Um, Reynold is, is he has a drink yeah. and then splash it and you hear the hiss. Yeah. And you're like, no, yeah, that yeah, would get like that, yeah, wouldn't it? It would be that hot. It's like you get in the car sort of thing and you put your hand on the steering wheel. And oh, that's yeah. not metal. And you're just like, ah! Um, you leave a piece of metal out there. Our front door, that big brass handle. Yeah. We've got a big brass handle, guys, in the middle of our, our front door. Um, it's totally per- pointless. It's there just for show. But when the sun shines on it, like it does for about 80% of the day, if you make the mistake of touching that... 
Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Is it all that scene in Home Alone? Where he heats it up. Exactly like that. Or like in this film where Vadian grabs a cross out of the fire. You just get this imprint of this brass knob in your hand. And you're just like, yeah, didn't need that. (laughs) Um, Watching Reynard get his throat slashed made me very happy. Yep, that's another one where it's it's kind of, uh, it's cathartic, isn't it? You're cheering. When he's marching around the cell, when Guy comes down to him. And he's just going, "Uh uh and it's like, mate, you are off your head. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with what you? What is wrong with you, guy? Or yeah. Reynolds? Yeah. <laughs> um, from the moment Saladin's army are first spotted at Jerusalem, the scale of this film hits another level. Yeah. It just, it just, it's like you're saying, it ramps up yeah. and up, and then you realise just how big that army when is. When you see the one person, they're like, it's all right, it's just one. And he's like, no, they're here. And then it just pans back, and you just see the just marching across yeah. the dunes. It's they, they play it, see them cinematically very well because like we said earlier yeah. that a lot of that siege especially the build up to it is all very narrow screens yeah. focused on a very small area and a handful of people and then they they do that and it's like boom there's 200,000 men there yeah. and it's like shit shit no that's a lot of people they're like yeah. fucking ants swarming yeah. across the, the landscape sort of thing you truly this the first reveal what a true scale the actual what is scale about of it, to happen yeah. Yeah. that's craziness um you have to give it to Ridley Scott. This film is directed beautifully, mm. especially the scene where Jerusalem is being bombarded by catapults. Yeah, when it's you've just you just it's night and you just see these big fiery things flying, but you get to see Jerusalem. It just it's it, a, looks it is a beautiful. Stunning. I mean, it uh, where is it? The, the siege of Jerusalem is yeah. epic in almost every sense of the word, yeah. and that it really is, and that's exactly what they were building up to the whole time. Yeah, because you only get flashes of like large scale. Uh, groups of men or cities and that and it's used very sparingly which is something that a lot of other epic films yeah. get wrong it's if everything's epic it then you lose the work. sense of scale yeah. and nothing's epic lord of the rings not necessarily the original trilogy but the um the hobbit trilogy does that because all right Lando, jesus um it's gonna pounce in here in a minute and just tear your throat out yeah that's what i'm fearing <laughs> um yeah the, the the hobbit trilogy kind of does that because yeah. Everything is these broad sweeping vistas and overhead shots and it's, massive mountain peaks. And it eventually you kind of just get numb to it. I feel like Peter Jackson was like, what do people like about Lord of the Rings? They like this, this, this. I'm going to do that constantly. Turn it up to 11. Yeah. And yeah, this film doesn't do that. It knows it's an epic, but it makes you wait for it. And then you get it and it's like, blam. What this film does brilliantly is starts of a very personal story and everything's very small it's mm. he's lost his wife his dad's just come to invite him then martin sheen pisses him off he murders him <laughs> and goes on his journey and again it's it every step of the way it starts as a personal journey and then slowly it gradually builds and builds and yeah. builds and builds and then you get the wetting of the appetite when they're at Kirak and the two armies kind of come together yeah. and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. oh no. And then, edging. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then Cinematic edging. And then finally, when you see that army, when they're in Jerusalem, he's given the final like, we've got to do this, we've got to, and you see the scale of what's happening behind the walls, how big mm. his problem has gone from just being this tiny little one about his wife to suddenly he's... He's responsible for the for entire all, city. Yeah, and then you see them flooding over and it's just like, 
oh Jesus. Yeah. Oh. And the scale has suddenly gone up, and you're you're kind of forced. To, it helps to put things in perspective, yeah. but also show that these very small problems can impact massive, massive. like. Yeah. You know, I mean, that changed the balance of power. The, the 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 fall of Jerusalem then changed the balance of power in that section of the world, basically, for the rest of time. Yeah. Because it's never gone back again. Uh, Richard's crusade that we see mentioned at the, the at the end of this film. Yeah. Was, it was a failure pretty much. Yeah. They never recaptured Jerusalem. In fact, I don't think Richard ever actually made it to Jerusalem. Um, and that was it. This was the the fall of the fall of Jerusalem yeah. because the Christians never recaptured it. Um. And it changed the, the whole balance of power because the Europeans at that point were effectively forced out yeah. of the Middle East and the Holy Land. Uh, they maintained Cyprus as a, as a bastion for quite some time. But yeah, that, that was it. And it's all because this blacksmith was, was miserable because his wife, his child died and his wife yeah. offed herself. Although they really play down the child thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, 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 the child died and, and the mother was consumed with grief and she killed herself. And the only person that Balian mentions is his dead wife. It's yeah. like... What, did you oh, not want a kid or something? Or maybe he didn't have time to bond with a kid. Or... I don't know. It's it's just like oh, you had a child, but you're never going to mention it. And then after, but then after a certain point in the film, he don't even care about. You don't even anymore. care about his wife because he's boffing Eva Green. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if anyone's going to take your, tr- your mind off of your dead wife, it's going to be Eva Green. But it's just yeah, because that was a bit muddled and a bit grey. I would say because it starts as him. The whole thing starts as him kind of going on a journey for forgiveness because of what happened to his wife. And then he becomes a knight and it suddenly seems to be less about getting forgiveness from God and more about being a knight. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, kind of, his story changes, but you don't, it's almost quite abrupt. Yeah. There's no like sort of gradual progression. It's kind of like, oh, I'm sad. I'm going to, you know, get my wife out of hell. And then it's like, oh. actually, now I'm here. I'm going to be a really good knight, and I'm going to. To be up fair, with I can't remember. It's when he get when he first gets to Jerusalem, and he's like, I sat on the hill, and he didn't talk. And to God me. didn't speak to it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's and kind that's of his kind thing of throughout the... it is that. Yeah. I, God's not talking to me. Yeah. I think if God exists, he's not interested in me. And it's kind of like, and then the hospital is like, oh, but is he? Yeah. <laughs> See, um, that's why I didn't do a David Thewlis impression because that's how it comes <laughs> out. Um. <laughs> The final battle with Jerusalem is incredible. One of the finest scenes of its type I've ever seen on film. Yeah, yeah. This this is this took what Lord of the Rings did, sort of gave it that historical base and made it a bit more realistic. But it, it kind of because Troy tried to do that, but Troy. I don't think I've seen Troy. It's it's more fun than this. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's still not a very happy film. I think the lack of fun in this film is what made it so. Yeah. They got the, the historical vibe much better than... I mean, the records of uh, the Fall of Jerusalem and, and the whole Crusades are far yeah. more complete than the Fall of Troy and that sort of thing because they're just that much older. But Troy tried to do it. But Troy came across a little bit almost comic booky, yeah. almost too OTT sort of thing, um, which kind of works against it. This then refined that to... Basically, the culmination yeah. of making a historical epic is this film. I, I can't think, think of another one that does it better. The lack of fun and hijinks and joy in this film mm. makes it more... It makes it grittier, but it mm. also makes it more believable and more kind of, like, brutal. Yeah. And if they'd had some jokes or some fun and some hijinks, 
I think it would have really kind of watered down what this film was. It would have undermined and it I completely. Would, definitely would not have enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> no. Something's exploded out of my garden. Yeah. Or just someone's hope, garden. Just hope it's not Cody. Um, <laughs> you mentioned it earlier, but the shot of all the siege towers tumbling over is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really and good it shot. it cuts the salad in. And he's just, and you could just see this almost like look of respect yeah. on his face of like, oh, well played. Yeah, so he knows this is not going to be an easy yeah. fight because he knows who he's up against. Um, and seeing that, he's just kind of like, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. it's going to be like that, is it? Fair enough. It's just it goes does... to show, even in the heat of bloodthirsty battle when you're fighting for God and everything yeah. else, there's still a chance to be like, oh no. There's it's, some respect. I've got respect for you. Cause... There's the human element in there. The two of them, they don't hate each other. Yeah. They're fighting for almost for other people's causes at this point. Yeah. Um but they don't hate each other, and well, it shows. Saladin's and, fighting because he pro- to get Jerusalem back because that's probably yeah that was he that promised was like to his, his people. That was that was back in the days when when you know you promised something to get into power, yeah. and if you didn't keep that promise, they would depose you, yeah. and you would usually end up dead. I mean, I'm not saying that's what we should do in the UK, but you know, it's just food for thought. Guillotines are still a thing. Just saying, just saying, just putting it out there. Um, they love a montage though. Oh, they do love a montage. Fucking love a montage. I counted at least three that were full-on montages in this film. I bet there's no montages in the director's cut. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the extra, like, 50 minutes is. It's just just a 50-minute montage. (laughs) Or a really long sex scene. (laughs) Yeah. All the montages are just... It's like, oh, this part of the film's important for A, B, or C. But it takes up so much time. We'll just montage it. Montage it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of a montage. Like, I would have liked to have seen a, a, something mentioned in perhaps the, the montages at Ibelin. Yeah. Where he's doing the, the, the irrigation and shit like that. Perhaps just a couple of scenes interspersed there of Bailey and training with his men at arms yeah. to explain how he goes from being a fucking blacksmith to a master swordsman yeah. and tactician. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... In reading The Art of War. Just <laughs> sat under the tree reading The Art of War. Like, fucking wrote oh, The yeah. Art of War, I think. Yeah. Um, using a smaller army to defend a tiny opening in a city wall has some 300 vibes to it. It does. It's a sound military tactic. I don't know if it happened historically or if they were just like, oh... Do you remember that thing that happened in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. I think, no, that I think that good. was again based on a historical. Oh, really? Thing okay. Because because uh, Jerusalem had changed hands so many times over the years. Yeah. Whoever was attacking it had a fairly good idea of how the wall was structured and everything yeah. like that. So targeting that gate that was something they actually already knew about. Um, and I think that was historically how they managed to breach the wall. Uh, okay. Um, um, the shot of the defense of the hole in the wall that dissolves away into dead bodies and carnage. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's again. It's such another. It's a beautifully well shot thing. Yeah. And again, it takes the scale right down. Yeah. Because like well, a couple of minutes previous to that, you've seen the fucking siege towers being pulled yeah. over, and then all of a sudden it zooms it right down to this very narrow view of this old gate being yeah. blown up. And it, again, you take it from this massive scale. Well, with with the massive scale like that, it's very easy to 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 miss the brutality of these fights. Yeah. Um. Even in like the action shots where they're fighting up on the ramparts, you kind of get a hint at it, but it doesn't really focus on any yeah. of the, the, the brutal parts of it. And then you put it there, and it again becomes a very human story yeah. of these defenders standing there on the front line, and they know that they are, you know, most of them are going to die in some unpleasant fashion. Yeah. 
and it suddenly it puts you right there in amongst them and you get their their view sort of thing of what they're about to face yeah so cinematically it's yeah. it's another brilliant masterstroke of going from when it switches to the overhead mm. shot and you just see they're both pressed up against each other and yeah. they're fighting and fighting and then it slowly dissolves away into just oh look there's the bodies of all them people you just a, saw fighting there's a scene during the the breach yeah. the fight at the breach uh, where there's two warriors one christian one saracen uh, and their hands are clutched, clutching at one another yeah. they're both rolling around on the floor um and they're both trying to get the best of the other in like a really desperate fight. But both of their hands are so soaked in blood, you can't tell who's... Yeah. I mean, one of them is white and one of them is, is sort of like Middle Eastern, so he's a yeah. much darker skin tone. But they're so soaked in blood, they can't be told apart. And it's it's a very powerful scene, very powerful metaphor for like the, the this brutal futility of, yeah. of the fight and of, of war in general. Both and the universal fact... Blood on their hands. Yeah, they've both got blood on their hands. And... It's the same color. Yeah, we all bleed the same color, and it's just like that whole melee scene that we said earlier. That none of the fights in this are noble or heroic, no. um, but especially in the siege, it shows that it's all just bloody violent and desperate. It's not, you know, ha ha, ching ching ching, like yeah. we see in the older films with the, the stage fights and that. It's literally you are trying to kill the other guy or put him out of the fight in such a way that he's no longer a threat before they do that to you. Yeah. And there is no standing there. There's no quarter. There's no discussion. It's it's a million miles away from the melee atoile we see. The it, pirates. It's yeah. The combat is the complete opposite of yeah. that in Pirates of the Caribbean because that is very stylized yeah. and and whilst it's fun and there's there's, there's that element of of danger and, and risk there compared to what we see here. Oh yeah. It's, it's fucking play yeah. fighting. You know. It's it's using foam swords. Yeah. It's and it's it's great the way they do that because. You've seen these guys crawling around and they're desperately trying to choke the, another guy or they're, they're stabbing them sort of thing brutally. And while they're doing that, someone comes along and, and slices them. Yeah. And it's just, you get an idea of what it was like. A bit like in Ironclad. Yeah. Because um, that was Ironclad's big redeeming feature was that the fights were completely uncompromising yeah. and just unpleasant to watch. This does it just enough. Yeah. That it doesn't make you uncomfortable, but it makes you aware and that it was not a nice place to be. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, noble as Saladin and Balian may be, they are still sending thousands of men to die, often in horrible, brutal ways. Yeah. And we see, okay, they do stop the fight, effectively the first chance they get, where both of them can walk away, yeah. heads held high, without being strung up by their own men sort of thing. But at that point, they've still killed thousands of their own men yeah. for what is essentially a hill with some stones on it. But it's not. it's not really a choice. They have, is it? It's no. just it's inevitable. They're just it trying was to gonna do happen. their yeah. best in that situation. So therefore, are they really responsible? I mean, arguably not, because no. like you said, it, they were they were carrying out other people's wishes effectively. Yeah. Uh, given given the the given the choice, we get the impression both of them would have just walked, walked away, away with yeah. their respective armies, and yeah. but they had been propelled and being held in a place where. External they didn't have that choice. pushed them into a place where it was only ever going to end one way. Yeah, and, and they it was, just had it's, to do the best they could in that situation. Yeah, because if you'd had someone other than Salahadin leading the Saracen army, they'd have butchered everyone when they yeah. took the city. Likewise, if you'd had someone other than Balian leading the defence, they may have stood there until the last man, yeah. and then everyone in the city would have been butchered. So it's yeah, there's 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 no sort of um, this is the best of a bad situation yeah. effectively. Which, 
yeah, you know, it's best they could hope for, I suppose. So <laughs> you get for believing in God. Um, now, I would be remiss not mentioning this: the costumes. Oh yeah, I knew, I, I knew this was coming. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the clothing from that era, although they do look quite cool. You know, when you see the knights there with their surcoats and stuff. And cloaks, obviously, we all know are cool, as we established last week. Yeah. Um, but the costume designers and the whole costume department did a great job with oh, yeah. this because everything looks perfect, even down to small details in background characters. Yeah. That, you know, are on on screen for like a second or so as you pan past. Um, I know they did take some. There were some creative liberties taken, but that's unavoidable. Um, and it just they just look awesome. Everything looks. You can tell this had this was a big budget because oh, yeah. they because had a everything. cast of thousands yeah. and everything looks spot and on. Every single one of them thousands of members of the cast are all on point. Yeah, it's, it's all on like point all the time. There's 12 on point and then there's some people that kind of look roughly similar in the yeah. background. I mean, I've, I've done some productions before and, and you had the main cast, the main characters, they had the, the focus on the costume and yeah. everyone else it was just... Well, get something that looks vaguely okay yeah. because you're only in the background sort of thing. You're, anyone that had like the spotlight had the focus on them. These guys, it's like, right, we've worked out all of these and now everybody else is effectively in the spotlight as well because yeah. we're going to put just as much thought into yeah. their costumes to make the, effectively the world building and set the, the scene. Um, the production so, yeah. values of this film. That's Sorry. the phrase I was looking for, the production values. I'm not bored, I promise. The production <laughs> values on this film are second to none. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really well done. I mean, it's got a big budget, but you can yeah. see where that budget went, yeah. and it was definitely used well. Oh, absolutely! And that is my last note. My last note basically says this film left me with two overriding thoughts. I want to go to Jerusalem, <laughs> and fuck God and fuck religion. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, it uh, the overwhelming thought it left me with was, I really want to go out and use my sword. But it was too hot at the time, so um, I haven't done that really as yet. You need to get me some chainmail. Yeah, I like chainmail, but it's. <laughs> I look at him. I like the fact that Godfrey wears that ridiculous little cap. Oh, yeah. Because my thought is, yeah, I've worn like helmets and stuff before, and they've pulled my hair, and I'm like chainmail. My hair would just get caught in that and be tugging on it all the time. And then he puts this ridiculous little cap on, which you, that is historically accurate. Yeah. And it, that was the exact reason was to protect your head and your hair from the fucking. Uh, the, the the chain mail and the, the steel helm over the top of that and I'm like but yeah I would really like some chain mail it looked pretty cool I keep like, I downloaded a, a tutorial the other year about how to make your own aluminium chain mail and there are sites that will sell you a kit and it's just basically a whole bunch of little bits of aluminium like this that you have to bend yourself and link together and I looked at it I was like that might be fun and then I looked up how long on average it takes to make a chain mail shirt and I was like fuck that <laughs> where would you even wear it that's the other thing. I have yeah. no use for it. I'm going to Tesco's. Going to Tesco, putting the chainmail on. Yeah. Who knows what kind of gammons I'm going to have to I mean, face. I would probably do that just yeah. for shits and giggles. That would be really funny, actually. Just turn up in a chainmail shirt to Until Tesco. you get halfway through Tesco's and you're just like, this thing's heavy as fuck. Yeah. It's hot. Oh, what was the point of this? Why did I do this? Just take it off and just dump it in the just aisle. Dump it, just dump it in my trolley. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got a score? I have. It gets an eight from me. Gets an eight from me too. Whoop. Where's my, where's my little pad of post-it notes for writing scores on? Here we go. Oh, God, my arm's killing me. I was not sceptical going into it. I thought I'd enjoy <laughs> it, but I was kind of like, I have vague memories of this film and they're not 
there's a reason that if I have seen it, I either don't remember it or I haven't gone back and watched it again. <laughs> but I, yeah, I watched it two and a half times because I fell asleep right and right. <laughs> I didn't wonder where the half came from. Halfway through it. Um, and I don't know what, even this morning when I was watching it for the second, well, the third time really, <laughs> I was just as fascinated and like just as bought into the film as I was when I started watching it on Friday. So. Yeah. Back back when I lived at home, this was one of the one, one of the films that basically sat next to my DVD player. Because yeah. um, it was like, oh, I want to watch something. Which one, which film basically do I want to re-watch? Yeah. And this was one of them that got watched I've probably seen this a dozen times over oh, the years. Okay. Um, I've never seen the director's cut because until I started doing my research, I didn't even realise there was one. Because oh. obviously back in the day, it was like, I've got this DVD. It's great. That, that, that's, that's as far as I need to go yeah. on it. I didn't feel the need to spend hours researching it and writing notes up on it. Strangely when we're enough. scrambling around for stuff to cover towards the end, the end of Touching. <laughs> the end of Touching. Um, yeah, we'll definitely do the director's cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the other day, actually. I'll take a week off work to watch it. We'll, just take, a, yeah, we'll <laughs> take some time off to watch it. Um, we need some guests on this podcast. Yes, I was thinking about that. So, um, if people want to be a guest, give us a suggestion for what you want to discuss. And yeah, basically, we'll have you on our podcast. Because at the moment, I know we've said we've got some cool stuff planned. But we've got to wait until it's actually safe to go out and do these things and realistic to go out and do these things in, yeah. in the big wide world because there are events that I want to take touch to and I want to make Reggie suffer through. Oh, um, you're lucky. If things had been lifted like they were supposed to be last year, I wanted us to go down to the... There's a Hastings... In Hastings, there's some kind of event. I can't remember whether it's I a like shanty Hastings. or pirate I've been, event. I've been to Hastings a few times. Lovely. Yeah, place. I like the place. Yeah. And they have this, this festival which I wanted to go to this year and I wanted to take the podcast down there and do an episode from there. But um, given the way everything is at the moment, I was like, oh, shit, that sucks. So next year, we'll be going to a pirate festival in Hastings. I was uh, I was going to start arranging guests and start mm. figuring it out for the months to come. But I don't know when I'm going on shift. And when I go on shift, <laughs> obviously my schedule is going to completely change. So I'm kind of just waiting for that moment to figure out when I'm going to be free to record these episodes or, yeah. or the normal episodes without guests as well so i kind of put a pin in it for a bit but yeah i've got an idea for ash for the i've, that I've had since day one so <laughs> we'll do that but everyone else just you know you think of what you want to do let us know where to find it and we'll do it and we'll, we'll and do we'll it sort of we'll, date we'll get you in we'll sort dates we'll sort the, the, the facilities because obviously two of us can fit in this studio but three of us would just not work so yeah. we'll kick my family out and uh, take over the living room for that <laughs> They can take the dog for a long walk somewhere. To my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can just go and hang out with my mum. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Do your thing. Find what you love, believe in it, and positive things will happen. And remember, if you ever start second-guessing yourself, just think, God wills it! <laughs>